Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Sometimes when I get bored, I like to sit back and fondly remember a time five years ago when the Detroit Red Wings drafted Lucas Raymond. <laughs> Dude, that second round, six rounds took seven and a half hours to complete. That's <laughs> <laughs> like one and a half baseball games. I think the fourth and fifth rounds were a cumulative three hours. Rounds four and five. It, it had was, to have been a prank. <laughs> it was a social experiment, bro. It's just that a prank. Was, that was such a slow, arduous, like gradual roller coaster of emotions. Like we had highs and we had lows and it took days to get between them. Yeah, those last uh, six rounds, I really did not care if the Red Wings found and adopted an abandoned dog downtown and then drafted him at forward in the sixth round. I was just, I was tapped out. I think they might have. Honestly. Are we sure that they did it? <laughs> we should probably go back and start to check. They very well might have. It seems like they timed a lot of the commercial breaks with one or the pick before Detroit, or right before Detroit's pick or a pick right before Detroit's pick. So there was no momentum at all. No. They, I know we've joked about that for years, but like we were all paying attention to that too. They really did time that up. That was infuriating. So for the first round, it was very obvious. It's the first round. This The draft was months delayed. You want to make a big deal of it. You want to make the broadcast enjoyable. The networks want to play their highlights. You want to interview the kids, et cetera, et cetera. So each team gets their five minutes and the league definitely told those teams, hey, Take your five minutes. Don't submit the pick till late. We're not going to cut to you until after the five minutes are up. That became immediately obvious at yeah. the first pick. Yeah. I was like, yes, <laughs> get the comfy clothes on, grab some pie and strap in because this is going to be a six hour ordeal. Oh, man. And then by pick like 20, you were like, oh, they're still going to do this. And then on day two, pick like 200. You're like, who hurt me? <laughs> and <laughs> like, why? Last night was fine. Like it normally in in a non-pandemic world, the first round takes anywhere from three to four hours. So they were pretty damn close to a normal year in terms of time last night. And again, it's the first round, uh, especially in a year where the Red Wings are picking pick thirty-two. It was fun as hell from picks twenty to thirty-one. Like, oh, who's dropping? Oh, this guy's still there. Like, it it was it was legitimately fun. And then the second round was a little slower than we're used to. But hey, we had three picks. There was a trade for the Red Wings. A lot of good players still going. It was good. And then when we thought the pace would pick up, just like in a normal year, the third, fourth, fifth rounds, etc., it didn't. And I, w I will say this. I assume the hilarious delay between picks likely had a lot to do with the technical limitations of doing uh, a production and an event of this size entirely remotely. Um, I feel like from a production standpoint, time aside, the NHL actually did a really good job of it. Everything looked good. It was professional. It was uh, visually entertaining, um, especially in the first round, did a fantastic job. 
So I, I'm understanding that they probably couldn't have improved upon this too, too much from a time factor, but still, oh my God, like the, the live uh, zoom call we were doing with patrons during rounds two through seven, I think by the end of it, nobody enjoyed it. It was just like a war of attrition. Well, like, no, if I'm going to make it, you're going to make it <laughs> support group to make it through the last rounds of the draft. On that note, um, just before we jump into actual draft coverage, we just had to get that out of our systems. Uh, we wanted to say thank you for um, all the patrons who joined the uh, Zoom hangout call today. And of course, everyone who joined our uh, YouTube live stream coverage of the first round. Uh, we, we did the entire first round. It was our biggest live stream yet. I believe uh, we hit, I can't remember how many concurrent viewers, but we had over 7,000 people tune in during the live stream at some point. That video is our first to hit 10,000 total, and it is still counting. It's on our YouTube page for anyone who wants to go back and watch the live stream. Um, amazing guys, incredible, and it was such a blast. Like genuinely, like we we laugh and joke and moan and groan about how long it took, but it was a it, like Evan had fun. The live live streams are guys. way more fun than doing the podcast. I will admit. <laughs> yeah. So uh, thank you all for your support. And we, for all the new patrons who joined us during that live stream, thank you. Like even at the end, I thought like, you know, if this drops down to below a hundred, like maybe we'll cut it short early. Like there were 700 of you when we ended the stream. So that means a lot to us. We were the biggest Red Wings draft live stream in the world. And the Red Wings had a draft live stream. Just got to throw that flex out there. Well, don't worry. I was, I, <laughs> Ryan got mad at me about that. Ryan probably doesn't remember because that was seven infractions ago. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. My headphones cut out, so I missed what you just said, but I'm going to assume it was funny. Don't it's worry for the best. Yeah. Okay, cool. Anything I have to edit out after? No. No, you'll be okay. All right. <laughs> Ryan's reading the timestamp. It, yeah. <laughs> it was a comment on a past inappropriate thing Evan did, not a current inappropriate thing Evan did. Ah, uh, Okay. Strip tease. Got it. Okay. The 2020 NHL draft has concluded. The Red Wings have made all of their picks, and we are here to recap it and break it all down for you today. Uh, every Red Wings pick, uh, as well as overarching stories from the first round and beyond in the NHL. So let's start with the good stuff. We're going to start with the uh, first overall pick, which obviously was the New York Rangers, an extremely tough pick um, for them to make, presumably because it took them the full five minutes absolutely kidding we know why they took the full five minutes but uh no surprises there they took uh alexi lafreniere um best player in the draft easiest first overall pick i can think of um in a little while any other notes or comments from you guys about new york i don't think there's ever a serious chance of them taking byfield or anyone else no this was i forget i think it was jeff gorton had a quote after the, like well when did you know that lafreniere was your guy he's like as soon as that ball came out of the hopper. So pretty much exactly what we all suspected. And then after that, which we thought would happen right away, but was about 20 minutes of real time, we thought, oh, yeah, then that means the uh, draft is really going to start because the L.A. pick is where uh, we started to have some questions about what might actually happen. And uh, not that it was boring that it happened this way, but L.A., of course, did go with what was the consensus next best overall player in Quinton Byfield. Um, this was like, you know, it, it was confirmation because it wasn't certain. A lot of people were really, really heavily favoring Tim Stutzler to LA based on what they've heard. Um, 
there were links drawn left and right. Uh, we had the odd person saying Drysdale, but they did end up going with uh, the big centerman in the consensus second overall pick. I mean, this was our first indication in this draft to understand that very, very few real leaks and rumors actually get out of NHL front offices because we'd been hearing Tim Stutzler to LA forever, ever since the draft lottery. And they didn't overthink this. They went with the best prospect available, the highest ceiling, Quinton Byfield. Um, even though they have a glut of centers, you can always move centers to the wing. And now they have a potential franchise number one center. So, I mean, it sucks like that the 0.01% chance he could fall to Detroit uh, disappeared, but it was nice to see a team just like not overthink it in a situation like that. And Quinton Byfield... Gets to live in L.A. rather than Ottawa. So he's the real winner. <laughs> hey, look, I love Ottawa as a city, but L.A. weather is substantially better. Yes. Not the traffic, but the weather certainly will be much better. So good for him. Although Ottawa traffic shouldn't be that bad. As I, as I know, I think it's pretty rough, which is kind of funny considering the size of it. I heard the, uh, the traffic's really bad when you try and get out of the arena. That's 30 oh, kilometers yeah. outside the city center. Oh, yeah. Um, and then Ottawa, again, it was another time where we were like, oh, now the pick, now the draft is going to start. Who's Ottawa going to take? Are they going to take Lucas Raymond? Because there was a lot of Lucas Raymond talk heating up with uh, Ottawa. Are they going to get cute and go for Askarov? Because there was a lot of Detroit Askarov links, and maybe that was the smoke screen that was being put up to try and trick Ottawa into taking Askarov, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, Pierre Dorian stuck to his word. And Ottawa took the consensus third overall pick, which was Tim Stutzla out of Mannheim in the DEL. And the most important part of this pick was the fantastic way in which they introduced it. When they cut to Alex Trebek on the Jeopardy set to, in true Jeopardy fashion, reveal the pick as Tim Stutzla. And I loved it. I actually got super excited that we were going to see a lot of cool, quirky things like that throughout the first round of the draft. I mean, that ended up being pretty much the only one, but Hey, it was fun while it lasted. Is he from Ottawa or something? Or is that just something they just reached out to him and asked him if he wanted to do it? I know Habs fan. I know he, he w- I know he went to the university of Ottawa. I don't know if he's from Ottawa. Either way, cool. I was surprised. I was surprised that they did it. I was really happy they did it. It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> that was a naive time when we thought the whole thing would be as fun as that. <laughs> All the, with the pace of the draft, I'm surprised he didn't actually make the whole song play out before announcing Tim Stutzel's name. Yeah, the full 30-second wait. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. So before getting into Detroit's fourth overall pick, I'll give us a little prelude here. Um before the we, obviously we've talked episode after episode after episode for the past i don't know i think 16 years about this fourth overall pick but in the live stream we had a conversation talking about who our preferred picks were and all three of us said the same thing assuming lafreniere byfield and stutzel are off the board our preferred picks in order are lucas raymond cole perfetti and marco rossi and we had three different predictions on the board um I had Lucas Raymond, Evan had um, Cole Perfetti, and Brad, you had Cole Marco Rossi. Oh, Evan, did you have Marco Rossi? No, I th- I thought they would take Cole Perfetti. I thought we had three different ones. Anyways, that was a long time ago. I'm sure there's a way to go back and it check, five but we're not doing that now. How can we remember that? 
Um, we, I'm pretty sure we had three different ones. Regardless, uh, all three of us consensus said, like, you know, we've considered this up and down, and there's definitely a cluster of players we're happy with. No matter who the Red Wings come away with here, there's a, a group of, like, three players where we're thrilled and probably five more where we're still, like, really, really happy and excited. And let me tell you, our excitement when Detroit picked Lucas Raymond fourth overall my first thought was hell yeah and my second thought was oh man max doesn't have to stay up too late writing his article tonight because it's not someone wildly off the board and my third thought was wow this is wildly different than the cider draft i mean i don't think he finished saying for lunda before i had started my fist pump um again it, we've been on the lucas raymond train uh, for this pick for literally as far back as we can remember going back even into last year um exceptionally talented exactly what the red wings need uh pierre mcguire thought he might have a chance at creeping into the top 10 and i'll be damned that crazy son of a bitch was right uh he made it he made it into the top 10 uh very fortunate for the red wings because uh, again we we wanted raymond there weren't a ton of connections, uh, rumors, I should say, from Raymond to the Red Wings. Pronman brought something up the night before. There was a few pieces here and there that trickled out, but it was mostly Perfetti. Um, there was the odd Sanderson rumor and the odd Askarov rumor, as we covered in the last episode. Again, it's Steve Eisenman. He's a vault. Beyond happy to see that it was Lucas Raymond, because he, he truly was the best pick for the Red Wings there, and he was the best player available there. My... So here's what brought me to the Lucas Raymond prediction, because obviously we had the whole Cole Perfetti timeline leading up. And as we've discussed before, after talking to Sam Costantino, we kind of all softened on that because we realized that a lot of these links might have been conjecture. The the thing that tipped me towards Raymond and probably the source of the gut feeling was when Eisenman had his press availability, he got a question about whether I believe it was from Helene St. James about whether the recent run of games in Sweden um, influenced their pick or their board at all. And he said, no, uh, our, our boards have pretty much stayed the same. It hasn't changed our minds uh, too much on anything like uh, nothing has really switched around on our boards. And all I can think was Raymond has looked really freaking good. At the start of the SHL season, like so good that a lot of people who were soft on Raymond were like, oh, no, this guy should be a top five pick at the very least. And I was like, he must be their guy. Like Hakan Anderson's there in Sweden. He knows Lucas Raymond and he's not like how good he is isn't obfuscated by uh, Raymond being buried on Forlunda's fourth line. And Dre after the first round, Draper confirmed it and he said, Yeah, our board went uh Lafreniere, Byfield, Stutzla, then Raymond. Like if Raymond was there at four, that's who we were gonna take. Um he was their guy through and through from the summer moving forward. So the Perfetti thing, any Askarov links, anything else like that, that was either um, you know, crossed wires, best guesses, or smoke screens at best. Nobody knew anything. Nobody had any good information because Steve Eisman keeps everything top secret. And I like it that way. It, the The anxiety leading up to it was a bit much, but uh, it was fun. And, you know, again, comparing it to the cider pick from last year, this was the exact opposite reaction. This is what I needed. Yeah, we yeah. we really did need this. 2020 has been the longest decade ever. We, we needed something. 
So we did do the full uh, pre-draft preview episode on Raymond, and there will be a lot of uh, talk about Raymond to come. But very quickly, because we're going to have a lot of new listeners on this episode, let's talk about who Lucas Raymond is as a player and what he's going to bring to the Red Wings. So he compared himself to a mix of Artemi Panarin and Mitch Marner. And I, I really... Good? I really do like that comparison because Marner has been my comparison for him for a while. And again, player comparisons aren't always fair, but it makes it easier to understand a bit of context. Raymond is not a great North-South skater. Good enough, not elite. Amazing agility and edge work. Fantastic shot, elite playmaker, highly competitive, plays all areas of the ice. Um, just a high, high, high hockey IQ, especially in the offensive zone. The Chris Draper went out of his way several times to mention how clutch Raymond comes up in big games, even playing as an underager. And um, that he specifically re- mentioned the U18 gold medal game. I believe he was a 16-year-old at the time where he scored a hat-trick, including the OT winner. And, I mean, if he were a slightly better skater and two inches taller, I mean, he's in the conversation with Byfield, in my opinion. Um, but he's not, so we have to deal with that. Um but the way the NHL is nowadays, big defensemen and small forwards are what teams look like. I should say small, highly skilled forwards are what teams look like. And I'm not saying Lucas Raymond will be a 100-point scorer in the NHL, but he could. His ceiling could be that high. He's He should be uh, a point-per-game player. So if you're getting an 80-point player at pick four, I, I'd still consider that a win. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm... Over the moon. He is the absolute perfect fit for what the Red Wings need right now. And on top of all that, he shoots right. Yeah. Um, one thing to continue the uh, the breakdown on Raymond, one thing that Brad mentioned, which just, I think is a really big key, is that Raymond's not the quickest skater north-south. Um, but he is very, um, his first few steps are really strong. His edge work is strong and he's agile. And in my mind, that matters a lot. And that matters so much where I'm fine with him not having quick north south speed. That is the easiest part of skating, the overall attribute to train. And that comes with adding strength and muscle to your legs. Um, and not only that, like skating coaches, that's exactly what they can work on. What's really hard to teach is edge work and pushing off and using your, your strength down low. Uh, to get a few a few quick steps and first few uh, strong strides to to gain separation, and I think Raymond does really well there already. Um, so we might be looking at a situation where some people are misconstruing speed for overall skating, which isn't uh, accurate. And then Raymond comes in, works on his uh, his overall strength and speed, and all of a sudden this guy's a fantastic skater all around. Um, in addition to everything else, Brad said, yeah, the, the right shot off the left wall, especially on the power play where Lucas Raymond is expected to be a power play quarterback because he is such a smart player with such high hockey IQ. That is a big key for Detroit. Um, he's not going to come over next season. Uh, Eisman and Draper confirmed that, but there's, there's still a chance for the season after, after the 2021, 2022 season. And because he's playing in the SHL right now, which is a professional men's league in Sweden, this kid, it, we we might not be waiting too long to see Lucas Raymond make an impact. Uh, no, my, w- one more ahead. adjective <clears throat> to the list of adjectives you just used. He's an elusive skater as well, which helps him not only in the corners and in tight, but it also helps him in the open ice to to you know to avoid other players and create some offense for himself. So you don't have to be the fastest, but if you're agile, you're elusive. Uh, you're, you're going to make yourself a lot more offense. Go ahead, Brad. 
Um, yeah, my my gut is telling me that um, he's going to spend this entire season in Forlunda, and if this season goes well for him and he produces, I think he's a Red Wing the following season. Just so we can clarify now that uh, the 1920 season's over, can we just start referring to the upcoming season as this season? Yeah, yeah. Just okay. Definitely. So yeah, I don't. Obviously, he's staying over in uh, Forlunda this season. I think next season is when we're going to see him. In Detroit, if he has, uh, let's say, not an ideal season in Forlunda and, and his hot start regresses, wouldn't be surprised to see him get a year in Grand Rapids. But yeah, I don't think he's staying in Europe for longer than this year. But hey, time for that to change. There's always time for that to change. Yeah. And again, so much more to come about Lucas Raymond. But really, truly, like we all believe that this was the best player on the board. And um it between tim stutzel and lucas raymond it was closer than people anticipated would have been happy with either but with how the draft went having lucas raymond fourth overall was just like he could end up being a top three player out of this draft or better who knows um and it was it's he's easily detroit's best prospect right now and their top prospect that they've had in a long long time at least 30 years um okay and then after that was ottawa's fifth overall pick which was their second pick within the top five we said we think that they're going to get cute a lot of ottawa fans wanted them to go by field or stutzla and then like raymond or rossi or perfetti and uh pierre dorian got up there and he called the first defenseman of the draft which was not jamie drysdale he took jake sanderson jake sanderson's going to be a usable NHL defenseman. He's great defensively. I, I talked last episode about how I've come around on him. This was still the wrong pick at number five. And I was I was okay and understanding if the Red Wings did it at four, but I, I would have had a hard time really liking it. I mean, a division rival did it. I'm thrilled. Um, without them going truly off the board, this is about best case scenario for Detroit because it keeps Rossi and uh, Perfetti out of division because Buffalo also screwed it up. Um, yeah, I mean, you get they got their forward, so they felt they had to go their defenseman, even though they had four second-round picks and another first-round pick. But hey, all the power to him if they thought he was the best player. Great, he wasn't, Were and the Red Wings are better off for it. Yeah, I was, I was surprised, but also not surprised that Jake Sanderson went at five, if that makes any sense. I knew he yeah, definitely no. could and pro- might have, but I was also surprised that Ottawa did it, given that they could have just loaded up on elite forwards with these picks. And then Chase, there were so many defensemen available in the second round. I thought that's what they would do. So I was surprised, but also not surprised. Um, but Jake Sanderson, by all rights, will play in the NHL, I think, for a really long time, barring any bad injuries. Everybody's got a different philosophy, I guess. <laughs> Glad we didn't take them. Yeah, that that was that was the big takeaway was I'm happy silly season started after Detroit's pick. And look, Jake Sanderson is not a bad pick in the top 10. He's not, like with how uncertain drafts are, you can say Jake Sanderson is not necessarily a back, bad pick within the top five because you're still likely getting a really good player. I wouldn't have made that pick like these guys said, but that's the strategy Pierre Dorian and the Ottawa Senators want to move with. I still think Jamie Drysdale is the better defenseman to take overall. Um, but who knows if Sanderson's offensive game continues to pan out like it was looking to at the end of the previous season. This could end up looking like a really smart move. I want to add when we talk about silly season, I think silly season, according to everyone outside of us, was at pick number four. 
It seems like yeah. a lot of the talking heads were saying that, oh, this is kind of a, a surprise. I won't say it was a reach that they were saying it was a reach at four, but they definitely didn't think Raymond would be the fourth overall pick. Whereas the three of us, you know, we're saying barring outside someone falling that this would be our preferred pick. So it's very interesting to to hear the the commentary and see the stuff uh, that was written today about how Detroit kind of reached at four, but I don't think it was at all. So we started the silly season, apparently. Yeah, that was a shock to me because like Raymond, I've seen him lower down on lists, but anybody who really followed the draft at all, like he was not really considered to be the ninth or 10th most skilled player. I think the first indication that he might go lower was from Bob McKenzie's list, but you got to be absolutely tuned out to think that Raymond was a shock at four. And the worst part is some people who aren't tuned into the draft, which is totally okay. Like this is, <laughs> this is an insanely, like it's like a whole other aspect of hockey that a lot of people don't have the patience for. They just want to see who we draft and go on. They're trusting these commentators up on the screen to give them like an accurate analysis. And they very clearly don't know because if you're shocked by Lucas Raymond at four, you have not been paying attention. That's why, that's why they need us. <clears throat> this is why we're here. Anyone, TSN, ESPN, Sportsnet, NHL Network. Yeah, it was it was just a peculiar thing I, I saw come out of the draft, even last night and today. Yeah, um, for anybody who's tuning in and, and is kind of shied away by Lucas Raymond because of what those commentators said and by his suppressed stats, please trust that this is probably one of the most skilled players Detroit will ever could ever have at a fourth overall pick. Our running mantra has been if there's ever a year to get screwed and draft fourth overall, this is it. And Lucas Raymond is the poster boy for that. He was buried on the fourth line in Falunda because they are they were a strong, strong team last season and he was young, like 16, 17 years old. Um don't be scared by this pick. It was the right pick and he was the best player available. Okay. Uh, and then the Ducks took advantage. They lucked out just like they got Trevor Zegras really late last year. They somehow managed to snag Jamie Drysdale six overall this year. You could see them grinning. Uh, they were probably shocked that he fell there. And um, I think they made away with a great value pick there. I mean, we mocked Jamie Drysdale to Anaheim in a few of our mocks. So I don't think this was a surprise. Um, how we got there was a little different than what we had imagined, but Anaheim needed help on defense and they got, in my opinion, the best defenseman in the draft. So they're happy. Absolutely. Um, and then obviously with uh, Perfetti and Rossi falling that far, the Devils were prompt to run up to the Zoom stage and then select, um, as everyone expected, Alexander Holtz. <laughs> I mean, okay. So not a bad pick. Like no, I, I it's not. It's not, not a bad, bad pick. pick. Holtz and Rossi and Perfetti. There's not a huge gap between them. So I don't want to say that. Like, whoa, what happened here? But given what the Devils need, I thought they would have went Rossi or Perfetti here. I thought they would have been over the moon. I mean, Holtz is still a great pick. They've got their shooter for the power play, and we've talked at length about how Alex Holtz gets pigeonholed as just a, a shooter when he's not. He's got a better game than that. So it's not. It's not a crazy pick to pick Holtz at seven. So. Even though we don't necessarily agree with the Sanderson pick or the Holtz pick at this point, it, it's none of those were crazy. None of that really was out there. Silly season started at pick eight. 
Yes, pick eight with Marco Rossi, possibly the most well-rounded centerman available in the draft, and Cole Perfetti, who could be the smartest potential centerman available in the draft. The Buffalo Sabres chose to go with from the Ottawa 67s, and they said Ottawa 67s, and I went, yep, that's the right pick, Jack Quinn, and my face when I heard that. Uh, you got shocking and look we've talked about it we talked about it so many times we can zero in on prospects we can say lucas raymond was the best player available but like what brad just alluded to with holtz like it's not the margins are so small between that top class i'm in my personal opinion i don't think jack quinn was in the class with rossi and perfetti and everyone from uh, holtz upwards I mean, I would argue we we actually did a pretty good job this year of not getting uh, zoned in on prospects like we did the last uh, couple of years. We 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 had our guys, but we were pretty open to many possibilities. And again, it's not like Jack Quinn made the biggest jump in the world. On my rankings, he went from 12 to 8. That's not out of the realm of possibility. It's not where he went. It's who he overtook. Like if you if he leapfrogged, Drysdale and Sanderson because they needed a forward. If he leapfrogged, leapfrogged Askarov and Lundell, I get it. I, I'd be totally on board with those. But Buffalo took Jack Quinn clearly because they believe they needed offense or else why would you take a forward? And there were two far superior offensive players there in Rossi and Perfetti. And specifically with Rossi, like the Sabres just traded for a 34-year-old Eric Stahl to help Jack Eichel not be the only usable center on the team. And then they just had Marco Rossi fall into their laps and didn't pick him because Eric Stahl's not going to be there forever. And again, Jack Quinn is probably going to be a very good Buffalo Sabre for a good long while. But man, he is, he wasn't even the best prospect on his own junior team this year. <laughs> so so it, Minnesota, Minnesota made away like bandits. They did backflips in a lot of our mocks we had minnesota taking askarov because they have a huge need in net um depending on your feelings i guess of kapokakinen i guess but my god i don't think us or them were expecting marco rossi to fall in their laps because of they have a desperate need for centers and they didn't have to do a damn thing and they got a top five talent right there yeah, fantastic pick for for Minnesota at number nine. They got a a great talent that really shouldn't have been there. This kind of thing was going to happen with such a stack draft at the top, but still, it just is so wild to see it play out. And then the same goes for Winnipeg. Like, how pumped were they to get Cole Perfetti, who could like in all of our conversations where we were kind of expecting Cole Perfetti to be the Red Wings picks, we talked about like if this guy hits, he's a high risk insanely high reward draft pick if cole perfetti develops well in winnipeg they they them in minnesota could have the steals of the first round in terms of value absolutely Um, and i i i compare cole perfetti kind of favorably to mark shifley honestly so the fact that and i would argue at this point in their careers cole perfetti has a more well-rounded game than shifley did so he'll have the perfect guy to learn from there and uh yeah i mean winnipeg fans got to be over the moon to get that kind of talent at pick 10 thrilled yeah 
Um, and then the last pick here that we're going to cover like in depth and we'll just start to kind of go through them and talk a little, just a little bit. Uh, Yaroslav Askarov to Nashville at 11. That was kind of like things rounding back into where players were expected to go for a little bit. Um, I mean, for as crazy as we thought this draft might be, this stayed pretty close to script outside of Jack Quinn until about pick 20, um, which was weird. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Rounds two through two and on, it was full fire silly season, which we'll get to. But yeah, like, what was it? We hit one point. I think it was up to pick 14. My top 14 ranked players were the 14 off the board and never thought in a million years it would stay that close to script. So it, it was interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And at one, and I think at one point I, I had seven of the 13 picks, like literally right to where I had them ranked. It, it was weird in a normal year. That would be damn near impossible to do. But yeah, I mean, I guess with all the extra time and viewings and overthinking of things, teams just said, you know what? Screw it. We're not going to get weird. We're just going to take what makes sense for us. So Askarov to Nashville was a huge possibility and they were outside of the top 10. They're a pretty deep organization. So they had, they have the room to gamble and they did. I like it. Like there's no certainty that Saros is going to be a bona fide everyday starter in the NHL. Pekarani is only getting older. They need a goalie in two years. And I think Askarov will play in the NHL in a 1A, 1B situation in two years. Like, he's already playing in the KHL. The natural transition from there is the NHL. And what better team to to come into than a team that has loaded on the back end like Nashville is. So it's a, it's a good pick. You know, they filled a positional need that they desperately needed to fill. Yeah. Um, and they're another team who probably had him as a possibility in, in one of their ideal picks. So again, they're doing backflips. Uh, Florida continued with Anton Lundell, adding a big Finnish centerman, um, again, to, to follow suit with uh, Barkov. So for sure, they were happy. And then Carolina obviously gets a great value pick. They they just continue to do so well by picking up uh, Seth Jarvis. Um, really, really like that pick from Carolina. And I really like their entire draft, honestly. Um, Ken Holland and the Edmonton Oilers went with Dylan Holloway, which was mocked a few times, like, or sorry, mocked as in like projected a few times, um, was kind of the expected range. I know Brad, you weren't too big on that pick. Yeah, it's, it feels like a Riley Shahan pick to me. Uh, Holloway has a bit more tools than he did, but similar type of player at the same time. I mean, what's that? Is he a centerman? Yeah, probably. He was drafted Uh, as one. But um, yeah, there were given Edmonton's need for secondary scoring, I thought they might have went for a guy with a higher offensive ceiling. But then again, none of their current forwards are real, real strong two way forwards. So Holloway checks that box. So it, it makes sense. Um, again, my theme has always been my preference, not that there's a wrong thing. My preference has been to take the higher ceiling guy versus necessarily the quote unquote safer pick, but Hey, in some scenarios you got to do it. And, uh, I don't hate it for Edmonton. They could have made uh, a worse pick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're getting, We're getting that range. <laughs> uh, we wanted to laugh, be able to laugh at Toronto. Brad wanted them to take Braden Schneider because uh, he thought that would have been an overrated pick. Um, I was hoping they'd completely miss, but they did take probably the most talented player left on the board, uh, Russian uh, player Rodion Amirov. So that's, I believe he's a left winger or right? 
left winger, um, which I think was a smart pick by them. Uh, Montreal started with defenseman Caden uh, Gooley, and then Chicago continued to ruin everything nice that Detroit could ever have by taking uh, German uh, Lucas Reichel uh, with pick 17. Um, the Devils, I thought, got good value with Dawson Mercer, 18th overall. Eh, not About bad. Range. Not bad. And then the two teams in the uh, uh, within you know a stone's throw from each other, the Rangers and the Devils continued with Braden Schneider and Shakir Mukamadulin. Oh boy, I was concerned that the Red Wings would take Mukamadulin with their fifty fifth overall pick, and he went twenty. So <laughs> uh, that's a reach. And somehow they were saved by Columbus taking Igor Shinikov. Yep. That broadcast after they announced that name was priceless. That, that was, was the TV funny cool. one of the funniest draft moments I've ever seen. No there, one knew who he was. No, no he didn't. He was ranked all outside of almost everybody's top one hundred. <laughs> the Twitter didn't know what to think of it. The commentators didn't know what to think of it. We didn't know what to think of it. Uh this might be one of the, if not the biggest reaches in, in first round history, at least in, in modern history. I mean, there's only one of two ways this ends. Yarmo Kekalainen looks like the biggest genius or the biggest dumbass, and there's no in between. They are either going to look like stars or more likely, yeah, like you said, like it's just not, there's no middle ground and i'm so surprised because yarmo kekalainen is usually so on the ball and he said something like when you like a player as much as shinikov you have to just take him but i just cannot imagine another team would have taken him before their pick in the second round or even the third round there's guys you like in every round at every spot like you could have had that guy 25 years later in the fifth round trade back further in the first round even Tell a team, I, hey, we'll take an extra fourth round pick. It means nothing. Unless he becomes some absolute superstar that literally no one knew. This is easily one of the worst value picks of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, 100%. This is Even like the more cider one was a, 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 a reach at six. <laughs> this is even way. This isn't even in the same uh, realm. No, it, different, different sport. He was in almost nobody's top 100. Even if we assume he was number 101 on all those lists, that's still an 80-pick reach. It's a big risk. I don't, yeah, I don't understand the pick at all. I looked up. I was like, who is this guy? So I looked him up a little bit. I don't really see anything that makes me understand the pick, even in a little bit. He's... The, the second thing on Google when you type in his name is who the hell is Igor Chinikov? <laughs> he ha- he's had a really hot start in the KHL. So this might be the pick the pandemic affected the most because, hey, recency bias. Maybe they were watching him and they're like, hey, this guy's pretty good. So who knows what the rest of the draft would have looked like had uh, this draft happened in June. Uh, and just to kind of skim through here, uh, Lapierre went to the Caps, Forster to Philly. Calgary did a good job by trading back a couple times and still getting their guy in Connor Zari. I thought that was really, really great. Um, 
pretty smart. Um, Barron to Colorado, Jake Neighbors to St. Louis, Jacob Pro to Anaheim. Ottawa took Ridley Gregg, uh, Brendan Brees on to Vegas. And Detroit was so close, but Maverick Bork did go up much later than expected to Dallas at pick 30. And then finally, the most heartwarming uh, part of the draft was when Doug Wilson Jr. signed Ozzy before drafting Ozzy Weisblatt because Ozzy's mother is deaf. So that was that melted my big cold heart. Um, and it was just really nice to see. So Detroit, after the first day, we were over the moon heading into the second round. Let's cover the rest of Detroit's picks specifically. And then we'll we'll talk about, you know, round by round through the draft, kind of just how it went. Does that make sense? Sure. So, so yeah, Detroit, starting with round two, had the first pick in that round, the 32nd overall pick. There was conversations about them possibly trading it. Draper said as much, but they ended up keeping it. Brad, you take it away. So this was the part of the draft where it really, especially considering uh, a few of the reaches that were picked late in the first round there, where you get about 15 to 20 prospects who, who blend in together in terms of skill set. So, the Red Wings could have went in a lot of directions here. I know based on who is still available, uh, we really liked JJ Paterka, uh, Emile Andre, uh, just looking here, Jeremy Poirier, Brendan Brisson, a lo- lot of names that would have made sense here. Um, based on positional need, the Red Wings went in, in almost a very, with almost a very predictable pick in William Wallander. The six foot four Swedish defenseman who can skate like the wind is a solid uh, all around player. Great transitional player has a lot of warts in his game, but has all the raw tools you would want for a defenseman. Again, six foot four. He's poor man's most cider, except with a less refined defensive game because if his defensive game wasn't, it was as refined. He's not going in the second round. So he's a project but he's a home run swing type of project. So if he pans out, th- this is a grand slam just because of what his tools could bring. Yeah. Wallander was someone who I believe in our, one of our mock drafts with Max and Prashanth was someone who I selected for them at 32. So I had a little Brad moment there where I was happy to get something right. Um, of course, my my initial thought was much in line with uh, you guys and, and a lot of other people. I was looking at Marat Kuznetinov. I was looking at JJ Paterka. I was looking at Noel Gundler and Emil Andre. But Wallander was not by any means a bad pick. I actually really like it. He shoots left, correct, Brad? Yes. Yeah, and, and that to me signaled what Brad was mentioning before. Um, the Red Wings didn't take the Jake Sanderson as tempting as it might have been in that spot, but for sure, uh, Eisman want to continue to build a big, tough blue line to play against. That worked for like that's that's a recipe that's worked. He's built a team that operates that way, and he wants to replicate that in Detroit. It's not really hard to figure that out. And William Wallander is a continuation of that. Like Brad mentioned, uh, he is raw, but the talent and skill is there. He has a ton of skill and a ton of hockey IQ, and you are going to hear us say that a million times this episode. Uh, there's a theme, and it's upside, and that comes from skill, and it comes from smarts, and that's what Wallander has. He's a player who projects to be a very sound defender if he refines his game, which every young defenseman has to, with offensive upside. It's not the pick we would have made, but hey, it's beyond the first round. Everything's up for grabs. I really like the pick. 
Yeah, I think if as he, you know, gets into the professional level and, and gets in the gym and adds some weight, I think his defensive game will get a lot better as well as learning how to play defense at the professional level. So wasn't the pick I would have made, but I can understand why they made it. And looking more into him, it seems like he's going to be turn out to be a good NHL player at some point. And then their second pick in the uh, second round was supposed to be 45, but they ended up trading back. And that was with L.A., correct? Yes. Uh, and they traded back to pick 51, um, which was actually five picks later because Arizona lost their picks for being dirty cheaters. Um, and they selected another player who I was really hoping before the draft that the Reddings would come away with in the second or third round, which was Theodore Niederbach, the third consecutive Swede taken in the draft. The we're rebuilding the Swedish mafia. Now, Niederbach's an interesting case because it was his draft minus two year. He almost lost the entire season due to a knee injury. So he he started uh basically behind, uh, from behind with everybody, but went into the Swedish Junior League last season and uh, torched it. Was well over a point per game, one of the top producers. Uh he shoots right for what that's worth. And the thing with Niederbach, and again, we're going to sound like broken records on a lot of these picks, but the thing with Niederbach that makes him special is he does have a really high hockey IQ. He is a smart, smart player on the ice. doesn't have any one skill set that you would call elite, but he's really good at just about everything. So he's a 200-foot player with a very, very good mind to create offense, and he does it. So, I mean, these are the types of players that generally make it because they know what to do on the ice and then it's just a matter of building up their skills again he's already got 15 points in nine games in the junior league this year and i'm not surprised he's spending another year in the junior league because he's a year behind um he's definitely a project he'll take longer um than raymond and wallander likely will because of that and he's i think five foot eleven or something like that so by the time he strengthens his knee back up to like fully normal and and starts then adding weight to his frame that's only going to help but yeah i I love the pick he was right in this range for me on my rankings again not the exact pick i would have made based on who was available but that's it's never going to happen where a team lines up one for one with who your picks are as long as they're taking guys that i have in that range i'm happy and nierbach falls into that for me yeah, Niederbach was, um, for me, a, a pleasant pick because I think he's a guy who they picked as a center. Um, it, it's a longer-term project, like you mentioned, Brad, but because of how smart of a player he is and because of uh, you know his ability with the puck on his stick, uh, either like with puck skills or being able to make the correct play, that's what you're looking for in a center. Um, his skating isn't anything to write home about, but because he is still recovering from a, a knee injury that caused him to lose an entire year of development, there is a thought that, hey, this guy could still uh, improve that or regain any foot speed that he might have lost. So he slots in as one of Detroit's most important center prospects in my mind. And I'm not coming off that until Detroit says, no, we're treating this guy as a winger. Um, Again, another pick where I like the guy, I was hoping they would take him and uh, happy that they were able to trade back and still get someone of his caliber. Yeah. It wasn't the pick I would have made at that, at that spot. I think I was probably leaning more towards Emil Andre at that time. Um, But maybe they thought they could get him with the next pick, but um I guess Niederbox can play wing if need be. Um, obviously, the knee injuries kind of hurt his development a little bit, and that's probably why he's ranked where he was. 
Um, he's not a great skater, but that's probably all related to this, this knee injury. I think it's like a considered basically like a severe joint inflammation that need, that required surgery. So I, I don't know, really know him that well. So I'll, you know, I trust the experts on this one. So if they, if they like him at that pick, then by all means, but with Emil Andre sitting there, I thought that would have been really great value. So maybe after we're done covering each round of Detroit's picks, we'll talk about what happened in that round just to give people some context because I think it's important to talk about where Andre ended up going and everything like that. Uh, Don't remind me. (laughs) Detroit's third and final second round pick was 55th overall, and that was a very cool hockey name, Cross Hennis from the Portland Winterhawks in the WHL. Um, Cross was a guy who is known as an incredibly uh, skilled player. Again, another good thinker, a good offensive mind, a high hockey IQ player. Again, Eisenman is going for all upside with these picks. Shoot for the stars. Um, he's a guy who, you know, Corey Pronman, I think, was the one who mentioned he's not the best skater and sometimes he's not the best off the puck. So defensively, he's not a guy that you're looking to. But in terms of offensive ability, like he just dominates his peers. And, and uh, that's what you're looking for with a young guy. Um, he's not, uh, he wasn't my preferred pick in that spot, but I also stopped caring about preferred picks in those spots in the second round because of how, how much the board opens up. He has high hockey IQ. He is talented with a puck on his stick. Um, and the upside is massive. It's a swing for the fence and that's what I want in the second round. So I'm happy. Yeah. And he's unlike a lot of the forwards that the Red Wings ended up with. He's, he's a big player too. Uh, he's got a lacrosse goal to his name in the WHL. That's fun. Uh, where's number 71. So we're going to have to talk to him about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- this guy actually was rated a lot higher going into the season. And just because his skating didn't progress as, as much as everybody had hoped, I think kind of held him back. And I think people were expecting a bit more production out of him in the WHL this year, which also is a, a touch of a red flag as to why he went late second round um versus higher um but yeah i mean he's had some games with team usa where he he's been the best player on the ice um at the under 18 so it's a promising sign again is he gonna pan out no if not he might but no guarantee that, that's the thing too because once you get past the first round like if we look in history odds dictate out of the three second round picks one of them's going to pan out maybe two if they're lucky because it's 40%. So that's closer to 33% of the draft of their second round. So, but they picked high ceiling guys. So if one of these guys hits their ceiling, well, that's a really goddamn good player. The NHL player they're getting in the second round. And again, uh, between these picks and the two picks they had early in the third round, which essentially are second round picks, if they get two more guys beyond Lucas Raymond out of this draft, this draft is a grand slam. Like that's the one thing we have to keep in our back of our minds this entire time is just because all these guys don't pan out doesn't mean it's a failure. You only need two or three in every draft. I, I forget. It might've actually even been Ken Holland who said, if you hit two guys in every draft, you're doing amazing. And when you look back through history and teams, old drafts that tends to hold up. So yeah, I mean the Red Wings had, what was it? Six kicks at the can in the first 30 or sorry, 65 picks only need two. And that, and then the rest of the draft is just bonus swings. 
Any thoughts on Cross Hannah Seven? Yeah, he's got unreal hands and great spatial awareness, but uh, he's got stone feet. So unless he can figure that out, he's n- never going to play in the, at the NHL level. So he's got some some upside, but if he can't fix his skating, I don't think he's got a shot. Uh, notable picks and moves in the second round. Uh, Buffalo traded up a few spots to get J.J. Paterka. Uh, L.A. took Helga Granz right after. Um, Minnesota, again, with another great value pick, took Murat Kuznadinov at 37. And then Ryan O'Rourke, two picks later. Carolina got uh, Noel Gundler, who was ranked as high as, I think, 13 or 14. Um, probably the best talent still available on the board, and they got him 41st. Uh, Brad's uh, one of Brad's preferred players, Luke Evangelista, went right after Ottawa. Made a kind of a weird trade. They moved up. They traded yeah. picks fifty nine and sixty four to move up to pick forty four to draft Tyler Clevin. Bold of them to uh, find a defenseman who is almost completely incapable of offense. That's uh, he he's. Jonathan Erickson. That's who Tyler Clevin is. A, a better skating Jonathan Erickson because he's big, extremely physical, uh, better defensively than Jonathan Erickson. Uh, but yeah, it brings zero offensive game. I don't think they needed to trade up to get him and to trade up two spots to or give up two picks to a division rival to do it is something for a team that had as many picks as Ottawa had in this draft. Boy, did they have a real shitty draft in my mind. I mean, they're going to walk away with some good players, just but they had seven picks in the first two rounds, and I think I liked two of those picks. So, oh, re- relative to where they were picked, obviously, but yeah. And then Toronto ended up with two great players on the out of the two picks Ottawa gave them. So thanks for nothing, Ottawa. <laughs> um, other notable players taken: Emil Andre went one pick before Detroit, fifty fourth to Philly. Mm. Uh, Yen Meshack went 48th to Montreal. We need to talk about that pick. Oh. Because yeah, who go- did they take right before that? Luke Tuck. And so they I took know, yeah. Tuck and Mysack <laughs> <laughs> back to back. I'm convinced Bergevin is a troll. I'm He's shitposting. He's shitposting. Um, and that, those were the notable second round moves. A lot of those uh, guys were notable because those were players that a lot of Red Wings fans were targeting. So obviously that's the range they're going to go. The third round started off in a very pro Brad Crisco way. A guy whose praises he has been singing for a long time. Uh, local to us with the Kitchener Rangers, they selected uh, their second of, I believe, five, one, two, three, four, five defensemen, which was Donovan Sabrango. Big fan of Donison, Donovan Sabrango. I had him as a second round rank. Uh, personally, I've had, with him being local, I've had the benefit of watching probably well north of 60 of his games. So got a real good feel for who he is as a player. Uh, he, he's kind of the defensive version of Theodore Niederbach in the sense that he's really good at everything, not really elite at any one skill set, uh, brings a high hockey IQ, uh, which is, yeah, I, you know, the more we say it, the more I hear it. Like we, we do got to think of another something else to say, but it, he's really smart on the ice. He's highly competitive. Steve Eisenman's brand. I mean, he's not a huge guy. I think he's only 6'1", uh, 185 or something like that. But he fought Will Cooley at the top prospects game, who's probably got like seven feet and 200 pounds on him. Um, 
And the Kitchener Rangers were a very good team in the OHL this year, and he was uh, arguably their most important defenseman. Uh, he ate, played huge minutes, every situation, uh, big, big uh, defensive zone faceoff with under a minute left. Sabrango was on the ice. Down by a goal, power play, five minutes left. Sabrango was the the defensive quarterback on that power play. Um, so again, he he's so well rounded. I I wouldn't bet against him making the NHL. I don't think his upside's high enough to be considering him a top pairing guy. Um, I mean, when you get into the third round of a draft, that's generally not going to happen anyway. Uh, has a chance to be a good number three, four guy. Probably settles in as a number five guy. But again, I'm a big, big fan of the player. I think he uh, forces his way onto this team eventually. At the junior level, he was reliable. He was consistently reliable and he was very steady. And, you know, you need defensemen like that on your team. Not everybody can be playing the rover and wheeling and dealing or the guy who's six feet tall just crushing bodies you need those guys who are kind of invisible and mistake free and that's kind of his mo i don't know about that he he steps up and makes plays like he's not afraid to be aggressive when he needs to be he was he he really thrived uh with that half wall giving uh the half wall giving go with the ford that nicholas cronwell was so good at where when the forward posts up on the half wall, he puts the pass down to them and then steps around um, the forward that's pressuring him into the slot for the one T. That was a, a big trademark of his. So he's selectively aggressive, um, especially in the defensive zone. Um, in the offensive zone, he does it a lot. Um, but yeah, he uh, because he not because he doesn't have a ton of what's the word I'm looking for here. Not a lot of holes in his game. I don't think he's a quiet player. He's he's always involved. What I like about Sabrango is what you guys have mentioned. Uh, high hockey IQ, well-rounded, which I value. As a former defenseman, I value a guy who can play up and down the ice. Everybody drink. Um, and he's mobile. He skates well. And to me, you, if you want to be a well-rounded defenseman, you need to be able to skate. And if you can't, you're not considered a two-way defenseman, but he can. Uh, and, and that's important. So again, fits the MO, high upside, high hockey IQ, thinks the game well. And like Evan alluded to, whether or not he pans out offensively, uh, Eisman's looking to build a solid decor. If you liked Patrick Nemeth and what he brings to the the Red Wings, which is mistake-free hockey at times, you will love the players that the Red Wings are drafting to fill out this blue line. Not all of them. Some of them are are pretty high risk, but uh, Sabrango is someone where if he makes it, he'll make it in a meaningful way. Um, Detroit's 65th overall pick was traded to Minnesota in exchange for picks 70 and um, 132. Uh, Minnesota traded up to pick Damon Hunt. So, okay, congrats, Minnesota. I don't think anyone was going to take Damon Hunt, or maybe they were. Um, but Detroit's second, third round pick was uh, Emil Vero, another defenseman. So, Vero at first glance doesn't seem like a great pick. He had very limited production in uh, the Finnish Liga last year. But the counter argument to that is he was playing in the Finnish Liga as a 17-year-old on one of the better teams there. He had limited production in uh, the U-20 Finnish League the year before, but he was playing in the U-20 League as a 16-year-old. So that's a good sign. A lot of scouts are really divided on him. Some say this guy has first-round potential. Other people say this was a bit of a reach for him. Uh, the lack of production concerns me. Uh, there was actually a gif going around 
where it was a beautiful play between William Wallander and Theodore Niederbach, where they connected for an unreal goal. And uh, Vero was the defenseman that Niederbach walked. So that uh, put a damper on that gift uh, after it was floating around. But Vero's been punching above his weight class. His Basically, it seems like his entire hockey career so far, which might explain the lack in production. I mean, it's easy to forget that in 40 games in the Czech League in his draft year, Philip Ronick put up a grand total of four assists and zero goals. And Vero put up zero goals and three assists in the league last year. So I am cautiously optimistic on the pick. Again, not based on who is available, not the player I would have picked here. I think he was in reasonable enough range and a lot of people had him ranked higher than this, so it wasn't crazy at all. So... I mean, and he's uh, the Red Wings are building from the back end. So the fact that they drafted a lot of defensemen shouldn't shock anybody. And again, between Sabrango, Vero and Wallander, you only need one of these guys to pan out here or to be again, to really, really cement the position here because they already have Johansson. They already have Tuomisto. They already have Chalosky. They already have McIsaac. They already have Cider. Again, they're shaping up really really well in the future and again hey maybe vero has heronic syndrome here and we're going to be over the moon in a year or two with this pick vero needs to add size in a big way i think he's like ryan hannah weight well pre-covid ryan hannah weight. <laughs> yeah, i was gonna say. say before quarantine maybe before quarantine weight uh and i think that is one of the detriments to his game progressing to the uh, north american style hockey he'll just get run over and until he has that weight i don't see him coming over but when he does i i like the upside that this guy has i watched a little bit of his highlight tape uh but the with the two hours between picks um i was impressed and i think this is the kind of well i'll say the cliche thing again the home run swing that you take with these picks i like his skating a ton yeah Boom or bust, that's what Vero is. Phenomenal skating. So much of this is masked by whether, you know, he's just a young guy playing with, uh, you know, in a professional leagues or maybe he's he's just relying too much on his skating. I don't mind them taking the swing. I'm not, I don't know how much I would bank on him panning out, but if he does, like Brad said, it could turn out in a big way. And yeah, like he is a great skater. So that, happy with the pick. Um, and for what it's worth, too, just looking at elite prospects, he was ranked as high as 32 and as low as 86 uh, yeah. by the seven outlets elite prospects uh, uh, posts. Some notable picks in the third round. Uh, Toronto, they honestly, Toronto had a really good draft. They took Topi Nimala, uh, Simon Taival to LA. Um, LA Poir- had an amazing draft. They always do. Calgary got Jeremy Poirier 72nd, which was kind of a surprise. Jean-Luc Foudy to Colorado at 75. Um, I know some people, obviously a lot of people want Nico Dawes. He went to New Jersey at 84. Sordiff went all the way to 87. So yeah, a little bit of a, uh, a lot of names dropping down there. Um, But yeah, through Detroit's picks through Vero, I was like, even if this wasn't my preferred pick, I understand the reasoning and I like it. Uh, starting the fourth round, Detroit had two more uh, picks. First one was 97th overall. Uh, Sam Stang, is that how we sa- we're saying it? I'm going to go with Stang until we are corrected on that. 
Because Stang sounds more badass than Stange. Yeah. <laughs> so he was drafted uh, out of the USHL 97th overall in the fourth round. Yeah. So overager, um, already been passed over in one draft. Uh, he was Wisconsin's hockey and baseball player of the year. Yeah, statewide. Statewide. So that that's pretty incredible. So the dude's definitely an athlete. Um, the scouting reports I saw on him, because I'm not going to lie, in the few hours since we've picked him, I've had to do a lot of cramming on Sam Stang because uh, he was off my radar almost completely. Uh, so his actual draft year, he spent his time in Wisconsin high school hockey and, and put up cartoonish numbers. But again, that's Wisconsin high school hockey. So this past season, he went to the Sioux City Musketeers of the USHL and was damn near a point-per-game player. Uh, more goals than assists, put 24 goals in 44 games. And again, his shot is unreal, committed to the University of Wisconsin here. So looking at those numbers, I mean, it's uh, he's an overager, but then again, so was, I think, Brendan Brisson, and he was putting up big numbers in the USHL too and went in the first round. Um, again, if we're talking upside, this guy has it just on his offensive ability alone. So, hey, he shoots right as an elite shot. So maybe he becomes our second power play solution on the left half wall uh, in years from now. But again, he's going to need a few years at Wisconsin at least. So Tony Granato sp- spoke really high of him on the NHL draft coverage. So I knew I nothing about him, and I mean, he's not going to dump on his own player, but that's all I need to know at that pick. Although Brandon Coe going next was made me sad because that's a guy I'd earmarked forever at that range. So Yeah, that was the Evan pick right there. That was the Evan pick. Yeah, like you guys, this is the first one where I was like, I don't really even have, I don't think I've watched a second of film on this guy, but Corey Promen was someone I relied on, and he described him as, like Brad said, a sniper. Um, a, an elite shooter like his shot grade is through the roof so yeah if you're if you can get a high high uh, skill attribute like shooting that far in the draft all for it and he's going to be it with wisconsin which is a great college program so yeah i don't mind that pick at all and brandon co going right after was you know yeah Zade wisdom wisdom went a few picks before which i'm sure uh, brad was really disappointed by but um that was I don't also mind- the detroit Philly got that pick from Detroit for Adam Ernie, I think, right? I don't think uh, it was sh- it was um Chicago's pick and then it was traded to Philly, I believe. Oh yeah, we traded it to Tampa and then it somehow made its way to Philly. Oh, yeah, 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 you're right. No. Wasn't that uh, no, wasn't that the pick from the Alec Regulich? No, we traded uh Yeah, no, sorry. Yeah, there was nothing added with Regula. You're right. It was for Ernie. Oh, f- Philly moved up to make that pick. Yeah. What was that trade? I can look that up right uh, there. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh. Uh, and then the second pick in the fourth round was uh, another one where we were pretty pleasantly surprised, which was uh, goaltender Jan Bednar. Um, Nico Dawes was off the board. Blancfist was off the board. But Bednar was one of the top-ranked goalies. And uh, having him drop to the fourth round in Detroit, drafting a big six foot four near 200-pound goaltender, I'm pretty pleased, and I, I think he immediately becomes uh, one of the most important goaltending prospects Detroit has. So again, 
I, I've mentioned a ton that like you look around the NHL right now and all the goalies, all the elite goalies are big. They're all six foot two plus. And when you looked at this draft, a lot of the higher rank goalies like Blumquist were under that size. It was it was a big draft for small goalies. Um, so to see that we ended up picking a highly athletic six foot four goalie uh, was amazing. Uh, this guy would was higher on my goaltending board. I think I had him three or four out of my goalies, but whatever. Um, and he's got a lot of refining to do, but what 18 year old goalie doesn't honestly, uh, I'm trying to think what else on him because the scouting report was he he's inconsistent. He has some games where he absolutely could steal it. And then he has games where he kind of melts down, but much like Emil Vero, he's been punching above his weight class for a couple of years now because he's been playing with men. So at first glance, his numbers don't look overly optimistic. I mean, he put up, what was it? An eight eighty four in the Czech league this year. But again, that's the Czech top league against men. So, he's, and he's only 17. So playing in the, t- any top league as a 17 year old and a goalie is pretty indicative of the talent that he does have yeah like you look at his stats from when he played against his peers and he put up very good numbers it was just when he went to the czech league um he is coming over to north america this year uh supposedly to play with a katie bathurst in the qmjhl um but with what's going on in the qmjhl right now who the hell knows what's going on with that um he might end up staying over there going back i don't know he doesn't have any stats in the queue this year so i'm actually not sure what's the definition of a project like Oh yeah, he's got the raw tools there, a hundred percent. He's got the body. He just needs to get over to North America and get with a North American goalie coach to really start to refine his game. I mean, a lot of the things we're saying about Bednar right now are the exact same things we were saying about Petrozelli when we dropped. Exactly. Him. It Big, seems like every highly athletic like needs to be refined. Yeah, um, and and for me, it's like if you're going to get a goalie that late, you're not going to get an Ascroft. So if you can get a guy who checks the big box and checks the athletic box. Bam. It'll be interesting to see if he play. Is the Czech Republic in the World Juniors this year? Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see if he makes that. I would assume he makes that team. It'll be interesting to see how he plays against his peers at that tournament. Yeah, it looks like he's played a lot with the Czech U18 team. So I would imagine that they're familiar with him at the international stage. Uh, Detroit's next pick was in the fifth round, which was another defenseman, uh, Alex Cotton, another right-handed defenseman, 6'2", and uh, was kind of surprised looking him up because, again, another guy I wasn't terribly familiar with. Right-handed shooter. He had 20 goals and 67 points in 63 games last season, but it was as an overager, which probably explains the big jump in his point production from before. Uh, but yeah, out of the WHL, um, I don't know. I was, I was pretty impressed by his numbers, although he was a little bit off the board for me. Yeah. Uh, again, Alex Count was another. I, I did not pay very much attention to overagers in this draft at all this year. So when we selected a couple of them, that was a little annoying. But um Alex Cotton's jump year to year here was remarkable. So in his first draft year, he only had two goals and 11 points in 54 games with Lethbridge in the WHL. And obviously Lethbridge tends to be the lowest scoring of the three CHL leagues, but still 11 points in 54 games is nothing. That's not a prospect you get excited about at all. And then he comes back the next year and improves his point total by 56. He went from 11 points to 67 while only playing nine more games and he hit 20 goals. That is remarkable. I mean, 
one of the reasons I was big on Luke Evangelista was because of how rapid his development was, and, and that is generally a good sign. So I, I think Alex Cotton fits into this category of, uh, yeah, let's mud. You're in the fifth round. Take a gamble on this guy. Let's see if, if there's still even more room to grow, because if there is, this is one hell of a player. And if it's not, oh, well, it's a fifth round pick. Who gives a shit? So... I mean, I like the mentality that the Red Wings took over this entire draft of picking the high ceiling guys, and uh, he fits that to a T. Yeah, I was, I didn't know who this guy was, and to find out he scored 20 goals as a defenseman, I was, how can you not, how could you be upset with that pick at that range? Like, I think looking up some of his highlight videos and some of the analysis on him, his skating leaves a lot to be desired, but. The guys in this range are projects, so you you pick them and you see what happens. And I think this is exactly the type of player you target. Oh, uh, uh, and this was the pick we got from, I want to say, the trade back with Minnesota. Yeah. Um, so one thing that you guys might be wondering is, well, what about our first pick in the fifth round? Ryan, you remember that one? You remember uh, that one? The, the pick where Vegas took Jesper Vickman? Oh yeah, well it, <laughs> the trade that nobody knew about until like yeah. four picks after Detroit made a trade and nothing like just nothing happened. The clock ran down. They went to commercial. They came back. They were talking. No one said anything. We're like, what's happening? And then finally, nothing Vegas- on Twitter too. We were checking every source we could. There was nothing. They just Vegas popped up on the screen at this pick. They made their pick, and then nothing. And we looked at the rest of Detroit's draft. No more picks added. We had no idea what the hell was going on. Do we trade it for a future pick? Is this part of a package that we're taking to retain Mark Andre Fleury's salary? What the hell is going on? And it was, and like a bunch of picks went by, and a bunch of picks in this was like 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. So like it, it was utter confusion. Uh 2022 fourth for a 20 for this year's uh fifth round pick. So it's a it was a pick. Two, two drafts from now. So obviously Detroit didn't have anyone in that range that they cared about. So they decided to give two years from now Steve Eisman a, a favor. Does, does Vegas hate Marc-Andre Fleury that much that they sign Leonard and then move up into the fifth round to take a goalie? Yeah, they're signaling something there. Um, in the sixth round, the Red Wings took a, another pick I wasn't really expecting, which was a son of... Uh, Adrian O'Coin, right? Yeah. Kyle O'Coin, uh, defenseman out of Tri-City in the USHL um, and is committed to Harvard for the upcoming season, I believe. That guy doesn't need to play in the NHL if he's going to Harvard. Well, he's, he's already going to Harvard because he's a hockey player. Unless, he's, unless he got into Harvard on uh, academic merit, in which case. Does Harvard let people in? If you don't have the academic marks, I don't yeah, know. You had a threshold, but they, they bring in athletes just like any other league. The Ivy League, I'm sure, has a higher standard, but still, um, I don't have a great read on Kyle O'Coin. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, neither do I. So let's just uh, leave it at this. In the USHL with the Tri-City Storm, he played 48 games, put up 13 points, and was a minus seven. <laughs> let's uh, not spend too much time on Kyle O'Coin. If he pans out, it'll be after a long college career. Yes, he is likely going to need the full four years, and hopefully the Red Wings saw something everybody else didn't. 
Um, and with what we thought was the Red Wings' last pick of the draft, although it didn't end up being, what we thought was the Red Wings' last pick of the draft, they did what we joked about uh, what would happen, which was drafting the son of Director of Amateur Scouting, uh, Chris Draper, uh, Keenan Draper. They went ahead and did that with pick 187. Uh, Keenan Draper plays in uh, Chilliwack in the BCHL. Sure, for sentimental reasons. So, I mean, you could tell based on the Red Wings trading away a pick for a 2022 pick and then phoning it in on a Kyle Coin pick of a guy who looks like he is not anything special that they're like, yeah, we don't have any targets left in this draft. So they take Keenan Draper. Great uh, Keenan Draper, unless a miracle happens, is for all intents and purposes, not a prospect like not a, a prospect that we can expect anything from, but he is going to Chilliwack and then the university of Miami, Ohio. So maybe, who knows? maybe there's something here. Um, why not give him all the time in the world to develop literally under his dad. And so I was okay with this. Sure. Um, so- but what confused the ever living hell out of me is, okay, well, if the Red Wings have clearly been phoning in and at this point, they traded back into the seventh round after this. What? <laughs> What? <laughs> well, first of all, about the Keenan Draper thing, seventh round picks are dart throws. So if you can have a dart throw and also make it a nice thing for a guy who has served the team like Chris Draper has, yeah, I'm all for not? it. They did it for Martin Brodeur's son. Great. Why? Not? They traded, but we we had turned off the Zoom call. I was getting ready to like rest. Have dinner. I was already asleep. I was yeah. already in the couch napping. And then the Red Wings traded next year's seventh round pick to get into uh, pick 203 from St. Louis to take Chase Bradley. And I will say that wasn't about Chase Bradley. It's so Eiserman can save us three years of three hours of time next year so we can turn off the draft that much sooner. I hope. He's a man of the people. Uh, Chase Bradley out of Sioux City in the USHL. Yeah, so it looks like he's going back to Sioux City for one more year, and then it's committed to Northeastern, put up very mediocre numbers and a shit ton of penalty minutes uh, in the USHL this year. So uh, once again, let's hope they seen something that everybody else didn't. Yeah, again, seventh round pick. It's a dart throw. Um, it is what it is. If you're going to move seventh round picks, it, whether this was a scout banging the table and saying, hey, we have to grab Chase Bradley or, you know, they weren't expecting him to be there or they thought he might go undrafted. Uh, doesn't really matter. We'll see how he develops. He's going to Northeastern. Um, yeah, that's the Red Wings draft class. So to recap, uh, first round, Lucas Raymond, fourth overall. Second round, William Wallander, Theodore, Theodore Niederbach, and Cross Hannes. Third round, Donovan Sabrango, Emil Vero. Uh, and then fourth round, Sam Stang, or Stange, or Stange, and Jan Bednar. Fifth round, Alex Cotton, Kyle O'Coin in the sixth. And then seventh round picks were Keenan Draper and Chase Bradley. Overall draft grade. I'll give it. I'll give it a B plus. Um, I'll I'll add the plus on there just because, I mean, this draft was to me made at pick four. Everything was gravy after that because Lucas Raymond. I'm, I'm that high on. I really like what they did in the second round and in early in the third round with those five picks in the trade backs and and, and all that. I really 
didn't like anything they did beyond that. Uh, relative to who was available beyond the Jan Bednar pick, there were some pretty good names that had fallen in this. Some guys that I had ranked as second and third round prospects, and they kept sliding and they kept sliding, and the Red Wings were taking... You know, not that any of these guys were bad or I hate the picks themselves, but there were, there were some guys there. Um, so... It would have been nice to see a, a little bit more talent, or, or I'm going to say likely to reach their ceiling talent than some of the guys we took. But hey, uh, we don't do this professionally, so who the hell actually knows? Because, I mean, when they took Emile Vero, uh, Jeremy Poirier, Jean-Luc Foudy, Daniil Gushin uh, had all slipped past there who were guys I would have taken there. Even Maxime Groshev I probably would have taken there. When we took Sam Stang, um, Carter Savoy was still there. Um, so, and if you ask Evan, Brandon Coe was still there. So, it's not that they did poorly. It's just I would have done the back half of this draft a little different than they did. But it was it was good enough. And the top half was so good that it really didn't matter. That's kind of the same feeling I have. I would say I would give this draft a B grade. Um, I obviously was over the moon with getting Lucas Raymond first over uh, with the first pick. Um, it just was a kind of a draft where I saw the guys who were still on the board and I'm like, gosh, I hope we take that guy. That's excellent value in my opinion. And then we went with someone else and I'm just like, huh, even with Wallander, I I really thought we were going to take JJ Paterka with that pick. I have no basis on that at all other than just a, gut feel of pumpkin pie um and then we went with wander and you know i think i really like him as a prospect but it was just this continual cycle of oh there's these guys still available and then we take somebody else and then at the back end of the draft it was guys i'd never even heard of and there's still some lower ranked players available so i'm happy i'm happy i I don't want to complain because I think our top two prospects that we got out of this are, are going to be NHL players at some point. Uh, Lucas Raymond for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it, I feel like the later rounds could have been a little bit better. I'm going to go overly optimistic and Homer here, and I'll, I'll explain why. I'm going to give this draft an A minus. First of all, getting Lucas Raymond fourth overall, I still believe is the absolute best case scenario Detroit could have hoped for outside of winning the draft lottery or one of the top three picks dropping. Um, I think they nailed that one. They didn't galaxy brain it. They took the guy with the most talent where if he pans out to who he could be, he genuinely shaves the ears off this rebuild. Um, and then the fact that Eisenman with the next three to five picks at least took guys that were smart and had high, high upside, that's what I care about. Eisenman just watched the Tampa Bay Lightning win a Stanley Cup, largely on the backs of obviously like high, high-end high players who are high picks, but also the, the Braden Point thing is there. He wants to capitalize that. He wants to take on a guy where it's a, it's a swing for the moon. He's trying to knock it out of the park. Sure, the floor is low, and these guys could be complete busts, but I would rather have use those high picks, unless it's a certainty where this guy's going to be a great player like Lucas Raymond, you shoot for the stars and you try to get that market inefficiency. And I think if you go with that MO with their picks, even though it wasn't the guys that I was hoping for, the reality is there's so many available players. I'm not going to assign my grade or how happy I am with it with you know how I thought it would go. 
high upside players, high hockey IQ players. If like Brad was saying before, if two or three of those guys hit in a big way, we're talking about this draft changes the franchise. Would I predict that happening? No, that'd be crazy to predict. And you know, these guys would be drafted higher. I give it an A minus because I appreciate the balls it takes to do that. And uh, I like that draft strategy. And I I think it might pan out for them in in a good way. Only time will tell. Yeah. The draft is a lot of, you know, analytics and subjectivity. So everybody's going to have their own opinion. I, I'm, I'll am i be interested to see what the pundits think of Detroit's draft class, because if they thought Lucas Raymond was a stretch at four, I'll be very interested to see what they think the body of work was for this draft. Yeah, the tagline for the Detroit's draft is high floor or high, high ceiling, low floor. Like these are all just big swings. And the fact that the picks took so long to come in between maybe colored people's opinions. I don't care about the sixth and seventh round picks. I just, it doesn't factor in at all for me. I need to check when, when was Brandon Coe gone again? Was he in the fifth round? Four. Yeah. Okay. You do. Okay. Yeah. It's good to know you still care. <laughs> Evan, I would never take that away from you. Thank you. Um, yeah. Like, and Hey, Brad got his guy in Donovan Sabrango. Like, we I talked about Niederbach and Wallander. Like these are guys who, even though you know they weren't the Kuznadinov that maybe we were hoping for, the Paterka, still great players. Um and Evan hit the nail on the head. We're not gonna know for a long time. So see you in five years. Yeah. That A minus could easily turn into a C plus at best, and I'm willing to take that that risk and stick my neck out. In five years, feel free to clip this and, and you know use it to embarrass me. As long as Lucas Raymond pans out, this draft literally cannot go lower than a B for me. Yeah. Even if they, even if every other pick in this draft does not play an NHL game, but Lucas Raymond is out here putting up eighty to ninety points, it's a great draft. So that's our thoughts on the Red Wings twenty twenty draft. That's not where our coverage is going to end. We are going to be talking to people and bringing oh. more in, Brad. Oh no no no! This is how you know we had a good draft. Here is the ultimate proof that we had a good draft we are now almost an hour and a half into this episode and we haven't even mentioned the abdulkader bombshell exactly <laughs> when did that happen yes i don't even know what day it is yesterday <laughs> yesterday so six yesterday. years ago um Let's so that is our coverage of the Red Wings 2020 draft. There's going to be more about that to come. We have people coming on the show to talk to us a little bit more about it, and we'll be going a little bit more granular and and in depth with these players as they develop in the Red Wing system. Overall, let's talk winners and losers in the 2020 draft. Damn it, I just closed my list. I'm not going first. I'll talk about one for me that stood out. Um, the Minnesota Wild, I felt, had a, a fantastic draft. For them to get Marco Rossi ninth overall is is fantastic value. And then to follow it up with Marat Kuznetinov and Ryan O'Rourke at 37th and 39th, respectively, um, that's fantastic. This is a team that had five picks in this draft as compared to what Detroit's dozen. And they took three of those five were Rossi, Kuznetinov, and O'Rourke. It is a hard job to pick five times only in a draft and come away winners, but I I think Minnesota did it. Uh, I've got two teams that immediately come to mind uh, for teams that had a really, really good draft, uh, especially relative to where they were picking. Uh, First one for me is Carolina. Uh, Carolina is always that team that tends to swing, and they took Seth Jarvis, Noel Gundler, uh, Vasily Ponomarev, Nikishin, Zion 
Nybeck in the fourth round, who I was banging the table for for a while there. Uh, Alexander Passion in the seventh round, I think they came out looking terrific. And the other one for me was Los Angeles. Obviously, getting Quinton Byfield in the first round's a huge win for them. But then uh, in the second round, Helga Granz, and then they traded up for Brock Faber. Really like both those players. Casper Simon Taival and Alex Laferriere in the third round. I think they got good value on both of those. Martin Kromiak in the fifth round is great value in my opinion. So I, I think the Kings hit it out of the park. Um, yeah, I guess obviously Columbus, I thought were the big losers. Um, I think one of the other runners up for losers was actually the Ottawa senators. Yeah. I don't think they had for, you know what? I was going in thinking there was no way that they won't walk, walk out with a King's ransom at three and five and time will tell, but I thought it was two forwards that would make that King's ransom, and I'm not completely sold that Jake Sanderson is is the guy at five for them. Um, who else was a big loser? Um, I thought the NHL, you know, it's it's tough to rag on the NHL for this, but could they get them webcams that aren't from the 1970s? Like, they, they were so Doesn't bad exist. at they had at the player's house. I wish they would have just work that a little bit better um we may enjoy a five-hour first round but i don't think the general public does so that you know hurts them a little bit but i enjoy i had a ton of fun but um you left after the third round i was talking about yesterday okay i'm not talking about today i okay. left i had a today. I, that was, was too much planet for evan um i think yeah, so I think the the biggest winner of the night, though, is diversity in hockey with uh, Quentin Byfield being a black hockey player, being drafted second overall. That's the highest ranked uh, draft pick f- uh, for a black player ever in the NHL. So I think that was a big uh, thing that needed to be called out as well. Um, Evan, you, you had a gutsy call with uh, Ottawa being a big loser, and you'll get a lot of argument about that, but that, that, like, that's a strong and fair argument, and I'm going to attack onto that by making the cheapest argument for biggest losers of this draft, which is Arizona. You don't have a pick in the first round. You ha- your second round pick got taken away because you're cheaters. You don't have a pick in the third round, and then you, you have five picks beyond that, and I'm not impressed with who they took or what they came away with. So um, Arizona, a team that desperately needs help, um, did not get it in this draft, which is a terrible, terrible thing for them. One, uh, I don't know. Did you, I wasn't listening when you guys mentioned yours, but I think one, another winner was Calgary. All the movebacks they did, and they got more swings. Um, and conversely, I think Washington was a bit of a loser taking – uh, Hendricks Lapierre to move up to take him when I think he would have been available wherever they were picking. Uh, another low key team that I think had a really good draft considering they only had five picks um, and none of them in the top half of the first round was Philly. Just looking over this quickly, they took Tyson Forster at 23, which was a touch of a reach, but I like the player. Then in four of their last and uh, three of their last four picks were Emil Andre, Zade Wisdom, and Connor McLennan. 
Um, one last loser for me, a team with five picks in the whole draft who could have leveraged their 21st overall pick if they were set on Igor Chinikov was Columbus, uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets. If they were set on Chinikov, what they could have done is traded that first pick for multiple other picks and replenish their draft stock and still taken their guy later on, which they almost definitely could have done. Unless something comes out that says, you know, the team after them was was ready to take him. I think Columbus missed a big opportunity in terms of replenishing their draft stock. I think they um, took a huge, huge risk that, I don't quite understand in taking that guy at 21 and leaving a lot of talent on the board. Uh, this could come out, like we said, where, where Yarmo Kekalainen is brilliant, but at the same time, uh, I think they kind of crap the bet here. I mean, if you want a good laugh, go look at Boston's pick. I haven't heard of a single player. They took <laughs> not one. Yeah. yeah I always like, get, yeah, go ahead, Ryan. I always get, you know, well, I always insult Boston, then they end up winning the cup next year. So I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to pick up who Columbus drafted. They got I have never heard of any of the people they drafted. Yeah, and then Boston had Mason Laurie, Trevor Kuntar, Mason Langenbrunner, who we only know because of the name, and then Riley Duran. Four picks. Ugh. That's our 2020 NHL draft recap. Um, hope you guys enjoyed those 90 minutes, but there's still stuff to cover. And we are going to start with the bombshell that Steve Eisman dropped on us yesterday, which was the buyout of Justin Abdelkader. Brad and Evan are going to take that away while I run real quick. All right. So this kind of came out of nowhere. Um, we'll start by the what the buyout implies. So Justin Abdelkader is now going to be on the Detroit Red Wings cap for the next six years albeit at a lower cap hit and the red wings save i believe three million dollars in actual money um so it's 1.8 million cap hit this season then 2.3 2.3 1.05 1.05 1.05 so for those last three years it's not a lot i know i've advocated on this podcast that ad locator shouldn't have been bought out this off season i would have waited till next that way there's only four dead cap years on it but someone on twitter made a great point they're like well it's essentially five dead years versus six because he still would have been a burden on the red wings cap this year either way so that made sense to me it a lot of people started going down the conspiracy theory wagon pretty quick. Is this them freeing up cap space to make another big move to sign a big free agent to bring on another big dead contract? I think this was legit money. Uh, I think the saving $3 million on Justin Ablocator's total, what he's owed, and then getting to spread out some of that money uh, post-pandemic uh, was appealing, especially to Christopher Illich. And then Steve Eisenman in his press conference afterwards very ruthlessly said yeah well he was we were paying too much money for the quality of hockey we were getting or something like that so basically saying he was an overpaid bad player which is just mm, art but uh yeah so the move made a ton of sense to me once i i really let it digest i mean sad to see justin abdicator the person go uh unbelievably happy to see justin abdicator the player go um And even happier to see his contract be severely reduced, even if it is on our books for another six years. So it's another roster space open for someone else. Uh, Steve, first piece, first major piece in Steve Eisenman retooling this roster this year. Uh, We're going to get in greater depth on that in a bit because there was even more uh, carnage in Steve Eisenman's wake uh, over the last two days. But yeah, so I mean... 
it's a good move. It sucks that uh, such a popular player like Ablocator's tenure ended so horrendously. But again, it's not Ablocator's fault. It's Ken Holland's fault. And here we are. Yeah, it made sense from almost every perspective. The financial sense, like you said, makes sense to me. You know, cut slim or tighten the purse strings in a down financial year, financial year, upcoming financial years uh, due to COVID. Um, makes sense from a personnel perspective. Uh, this makes training camp a little bit more competitive because there's one more roster spot, although I think it's Svechnikov's, but it, it, it makes camp a little bit more competitive. Um, makes the team better. <laughs> I, I hate to dump on a guy as the door closes, but it, it will make the team better. Um, and it sends a good message to fans that this is Eisenman's team and sort of the baggage from the last team uh, before his tenure is is quickly moving out the door or as quickly as he can make it work um, in a logical pace. Um, yeah, uh, obviously the Twitter comments were, of course, disgusting like usual. Um, you you got to thank a guy, you know, putting his body on the line every night, you know, sacrificing his uh physical future um and he was you know a, a very visible face in the community so i think uh we won't miss applicator on the ice but he was a very important part of the detroit uh, sports um community and i think he'll be missed in that regard yeah you you guys hit that perfectly like every point there is exactly right um i especially wanted to highlight what brad said about you know initially wanting the buyout to happen next year but then realizing that in terms of dollars saved and in terms of, you know, dead, like dead weight on the team, it does make sense. And so, um, kudos to Eisenman for, for doing that. Very shrewd. Like ice in his veins comment when he was like, yeah, cost too much money. I can have someone do it for cheaper. This saves money this way. It's like, Love it. that's what you want from your GM. Howard gone, Erickson gone, Abdulkader gone. Eisenman is making this into his team. And I want to see a, a GM make those tough decisions. Yeah, I mean, they're not, I didn't think they were that tough, but it is, you know, he's ripping the bandaid off. And even though like, it's not like I, or uh, Holland wouldn't have been in a position to run this buyout when he was in his latter stage with Detroit, because there, that was way too many years left on Abdulkader's contract. But these are the kind of decisions that we didn't see from Holland. You kind of just had to wait and sl- like that for that slow ooze and eke out. And that's why these moves are like, it's kind of exhilarating to see Steve Eisenman do these things. Um, yeah, it, it was it was uh, a surprise, and it was hilarious that it was happening as a, we were doing all of our draft prep. We were like, "Oh, geez, Steve!" It's always we moved time. from our significant other that drives a minivan to our new significant other who drives a Harley. It's exciting and it's fast pace. <laughs> yeah, um, and that leads into the next point, which is uh, today was the deadline for qualifying offers for eligible restricted free agents who needed them. Otherwise, they would go to unrestricted free agency. And Detroit did not offer qualifying offers to Madison Bowie, Christopher N., or Brendan Perlini, rendering them all unrestricted free agents. Are we doing the moment of silence for Madison Bowie now or at the end of the episode? Well, that's why we took some time before recording the episode after the draft. It was so Brad could grieve. Yeah. I mean, jokes aside, Steve Eisenman did just cut bait with the second leading scorer among Red Wings defensemen last year. So <laughs> that's that's the state of affairs of the team last year. <laughs> that's that's what we were dealing with. So 
This is just this just screams of Eisenman looking at the team last year, going, I understand that we're not in the market for a big free agent. I understand that we do not have a savior coming uh from the prospect pipeline this year. Maybe Mo Sider, but again, Mo Sider isn't enough to change this. But that all being said, I still need to change this travesty of a team. So he re-signed Sam Gagne, who showed uh, pretty well last year. I mean, cut ties with very, very replaceable players. It's not hard to find a Madison Bowie. It's not hard to find a Christopher N. It's not hard to find a Brendan Perlini. If he can find guys who are slightly cheaper or slightly younger or both, who can come in and do the job slightly more effectively, it's a big win. What he did was he opened up a bunch of roster spots. Now, when you look at the Red Wings depth chart, not as many roster spots available as you would think still, because this is still a horrendous clusterfuck of terrible players. But there, it opens up room to maybe take a swing on an Alex Galchenyuk in free agency to see if there's a reclamation project there. Maybe take a swing on a Jeremy Bracco who was not qualified for the by the Leafs, a Dominic Cahoon who wasn't uh, qualified by the Sabres and Anthony Duclair who wasn't qualified by the Senators. Stevie's not going to go big game hunting here, but he absolutely can Billy bean the shit out of this right now. He has now a f- <laughs> flexible cap space to go get good players who are cheap and hopefully provide more value than they're worth. And if they improve upon who they are as players while they come here, great. Maybe it's a long-term solution, but if it's not, it's a good stopgap to prevent this team from being the utter catastrophe that we witnessed last season. I was a little surprised they didn't uh, qualify Perlini. I thought maybe they'd give him a longer look, but maybe I'm the guy in the minivan. Um, (laughs) And uh, Steve on his Harley had seen enough to make that decision. Obviously he did. So yeah, not upset, but I thought maybe there was a possibility that, you know, he'd come in cheap and we'd maybe see something. Um, I, I know a lot of people were still not happy about the Perlini trade because they wanted to hang on to Alec Regula, and that's fair. I, I think that's going to go down as uh, a trade that just didn't work out for Eisenman. How big of a thing that is it depends on how much you cared about Alec Regula. Like, for sure, you don't want to cut ties for any defenseman who looks like he might be a player, but at the same time, I don't go to sleep at night missing Alec Regula too much. Um, and also think with all of these prospects coming in, not only does Eisman have to clear room on the roster, which he's just done today and yesterday, uh, also in the pipeline. And I think Eisman is going to be clearing room within the Red Wings organization for players that he and Chris Draper as, you know, head of amateur scouting, director of amateur scouting, didn't select together. Not all of them, of course, but some. Um, this draft had a much different tone. The focus on skill and the focus on hockey IQ was, in my mind, much more. It was a contrast to what they did in the past with the the um, Tyler Wright in Ken Holland draft. So that for me was a little bit of a uh, a point to say, yep, this is another corner that the team is turning. We're moving in a different direction, and that direction is led by Steve Eiserman and Chris Draper. Some other short news before we uh, head into overtime here. Um, Moritz Sider and Joe Valeno are the latest uh, Red Wings to be loaned to Sweden. Um, The Swedish Elite League or the SHL Sider was supposed to go to Germany, but their league is delayed in the DEL. So those two are going to Sweden as well. 
As for whether it's the full year, we've heard conflicting reports because generally it's that Sweden doesn't want players unless they're staying for the full year, but we've also heard of players without clauses. So I won't say that they're both guaranteed to not play. I think Valeno is the full year, but I'm not so sure about Cider yet. I'm sure details on that will become more clear as we come. It's also fun because not only is Raymond there, not only is Bergeron there, not only is um, the uh, Leviathan over there, but now you have all of these like other like Cider and Valeno um, in Red Wings prospects and players like Red Wings are essentially Frölunda focused right now, if not Sweden at large, like <laughs> the Red Wings drafted Frölunda or the Red Wings drafted all Swedes. They re- they're rebuilding the Swedish mafia and that'll be fun to see pretty much. Any thoughts, any final points about the draft or anything else that's happened over the past few days before we jump into overtime here? Uh, No, I can't think of anything. I mean, there was so much that happened. We're definitely forgetting stuff because even outside of the Red Wings, Max Domi for Josh Anderson, the OEL rumors, Matt Murray to Ottawa, like all these things happened and they're crazy. But yeah, that's going to have to be a next episode stuff this is a very red wing centric episode yes that will be we'll be covering later on by the way next episode will be monday night we are giving ourselves a little break because um i think evan needs to sleep for 37 continuous hours before he agrees to speak to us again and um we are it is canadian thanksgiving this weekend and my mother needs to see me why so she needs uh, to remind ryan about when med school applications are I kid you not, I've had a conversation about them about med school within the past month. That has not been in the cards for me for five years now. Five years ago, at least. Anyhow, um, quick thank you again to everyone for to support us through all of our uh, draft coverage, all of our brand new patrons, all of uh, our listeners and subscribers and supporters. Um, and also a quick shout out to our respective partners um mel is currently renovating a bathroom which shares a wall with the podcast studio and she stopped doing all loud work while draft content was on which is like 16 hours over two days um the support they give us we definitely don't deserve and they are big drivers behind this podcast so thank you crystal cat and mel yes they'll, i don't know if they'll ever hear this but you know no zero chance crystals <laughs> never listen to an episode has she never no god no she <laughs> hears all the shit that i tell you people before i tell you people <laughs> oh man okay overtime overtime is brought to you by our patreon supporters the winged wheel podcast patrons are the reason this show happens are the reason we've been able to uh do all this draft coverage are the reason we've been able to do the live stream and then the the hangout after they were the reason we're giving away a custom detroit red wings jersey with this episode um and they're the reason we're sponsored by upper deck hockey you guys mean the world we have so many new patreon supporters so all of you welcome thank you for joining and uh, we're going to read out your comments we're going to start with RC Tendy, who says, Lucas fucking Raymond. I know yeah. I censor that one, but it's worth it. Yeah. It feels weird being this happy and knowing we have an absolute stud coming onto the team. Let's just hope this is a good development year for all of our prospects. Hashtag trust the Iser plan. 
Uh, Zachary Tretnik, brand new Patreon supporter. Welcome to the Dub Dub family. Says, it's been a long time coming for me to really start supporting you guys with Patreon. Love the product and love how interactive you guys are. So many questions about the draft, but I'm just going to pump your tires for now. Keep it up. Uh, Zachary, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for pumping our tires. Um, you guys are the only reason we have energy after this many hours. Garrett TV says hockey amigos have to say Rossi or Raymond were my hopefuls. Let's not forget that Lucas Raymond has been drooled over by scouts for the past 18 months. We may end up with the most productive player in the draft and that's not at all hyperbole. Who do you think we had targeted at 45 that we missed on prompting the first trade by Eisenman? I'm guessing it was Bordalo, but who knows? Firk it. We got Raymond. Namaste, bitches. Let's go Red Wings. Um, so it's tough to say because obviously Detroit had full control over what they wanted to do in the second round because they had the first pick of the second round. Uh, I'm guessing they were hoping, looking at it, maybe Paterka, but I don't think that was ever realistic for him to fall that far. I think legitimately what happened on both his tradebacks, and and we talked a lot about this, um, today on Twitter and, uh, in our Patreon Zoom call the board just kept falling in a very favorable fashion for the wings. There was guys like groups of 10, 15 guys who were just so talented and, and so closely ranked that Detroit probably looked at 45 and said, uh, yeah, we can trade back six spots. Absolutely. And get one of these guys. Why the hell would we not pick up an extra pick here? And I think that happened both times they traded back. And in my opinion, both times it worked out well, um, with how they did it. Uh, Jake Nagy says my reaction this year was just as shocked as last year, but this year it was shock and pure joy. Lucas Raymond is a Red Wings boys is a Red Wing boys. My favorite day two pick is cross Hannes. I lived in, I live in Portland and he plays for the winter Hawks. So I've seen him play firsthand. He's shifty, has great hands. And I think he could be a real steal choosing from all 2019 and 2020 picks under Stevie. What would be your ideal power play unit? Are we talking about current Red Wings? And then we get to throw in. No, I think it's just those two drafts. Oh, so uh, the last two drafts? So back end, Cider and Wallander. Oh, the absolute Albert Johansson disrespect. <laughs> okay, hold on. I got to build this out one at a time. So I'm going to still say Mo Cider is the number one power play quarterback there. Yeah. Um, and he's a right shot, so he's going to be moving that puck to the left side a lot. Isn't it convenient? We can throw Lucas Raymond right there. Okay. We're going to need a bumper, someone who has really quick hands and can get a good shot off. So I'm going to throw Robert Master Simone there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are going to need a left, uh, a right half wall option here. And this is where I think we might be lacking a touch. You put Soderblom in there and just have him crash. No, Soderblom's going is my net front guy for sure. Grava's there. Uh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put Grava as my bumper and I'm going to move Master Simone over to the right half wall and I'm putting Soderblom net front. And then is the- Theodore Niederbach one of those guys? He'd be on my second power play unit here just because where I think his strength would be. Uh, you know what? No, I'm taking Grava off that unit. I'm putting Niederbach as my bumper. Okay. 
Uh, Cody Heimbach says, now that Ottawa has made their picks, Cody's a brand new patron. Cody, welcome. Says, now that Ottawa's made their picks and traded for Murray, how far ahead are they in their rebuild as opposed to the Wings? With the top Atlantic teams not really falling off in Montreal and maybe the Panthers being a bubble team, how much does Ottawa's improvement hurt the Wings in the long run? Look, it doesn't matter what you think of Ottawa's draft. They had three picks in the first round. That puts them ahead. Just... 100%. Uh, yeah, they're, they were ahead to begin with, though, and they had relative to what they had. I, I'm going to say they had a poor draft. So I think where they're at, the Senators are going to get where they're going quicker than the Red Wings will. But I think once they're both uh, at their ceiling or whatever they're building, I think the Red Wings are in a better uh, spot because, yeah, Tim Stutzel is great. But who's their next best forward prospect? Jake Batherson? Uh, Drake Batherson, sorry. I mean, I'll take Lucas Raymond and Philip Zadina over them 10 out of 10 times. Um, Detroit's got, I, I like their defensive prospects better. Um, Ottawa's better positioned in net right now by a lot, but that's it. That's the one advantage I give Ottawa outside of depth, um, just because they have way more than the Red Wings have. So, I mean, and they, it's Ottawa. They just had a 20 goal score on a value contract in Anthony Duclair and they went, let him walk because they were afraid he might make four or five million dollars in arbitration. Like it's comical how cheap their owner is. So, I mean, Ottawa's ahead of Detroit, but I, I have way more faith in what the Red Wings have and where they're going than I do in the Senators. Seems like Ottawa's problem is between their, their ears. Yeah. And uh, Detroit's problem is between the boards, but we're working on it. Uh, Matt McKay says, good day, boys. First off, just want to say thank you for all you guys do. Have to say y'all are my favorite show to listen to, and you've done, a, you've done a good job in helping me learn about the prospects. Second, super happy for Raymond to be a wing. Who do you think he would be on a line with when he makes the team? When he makes the team, thanks again, Matt. I'm in love with the idea of a Raymond Valeno Zadina line. I am all about it. I'm not going to lie. That gives me at least a 65%. (laughs) You're fluffing (laughs) over there. (laughs) Uh, And this next comment is from uh, Swedish fart porn uh, who says. (laughs) Yeah, that caught me up. They get weirder every week, I swear. Uh, He says, everybody loves Raymond. I was in B-dubs watching the draft and shouted it in excitement. Now I'm no longer allowed in my local B-dubs. I blame Brad. Such good shit. Finally excited to be a Wings fan again. Also, my other team got Lundy, so I am happy. Keep calm and love WAP and Swedish hockey players. (laughs) Blake Medler says, I've been waiting for this episode for far too long, but it was worth the wait. Thanks for the awesome draft coverage. Thank you, Blake, for waiting patiently and for tuning in. Uh, Travel to Walk, who's a new patron, so welcome and uh we appreciate your support says good draft stream dud duds fun hypothetical because we all know this rebuild is going to take a while with the cap space the free agents available buyers market and the other teams teams internal caps uh stevie y surprises everyone by spending to the cap to try to win now who would you bring in and how far would the team make it who would i bring so are we talking about free agency only yeah yeah just assume free agency don't worry about trades yeah because i was gonna say i if you want to make the red wings spend to the cap i'm still bringing in bad contracts but um i i get strum duclair yeah again i'd be looking at the value guys here uh, I, I wouldn't even go for markstrom i would be going for the thomas grice or something like that as a backup goalie because bernier had a, a had a good run and i'm hoping he'll do it again 
and then you just bring in a, a solid backup. I think you throw money at depth here because that really is Detroit's problem. Um, not that they're an elite top pair, but Heronic de Kaiser can get the job done. A second pair, if it's Nemeth Insider, again, not elite, but they can get the job done. The top line is unreal. If you, but the bottom six is still a big problem. Like I, I updated my Red Wings depth chart before we start recording this and it, it's the depth that's the problem. So if they can get a second line center, uh, a value second line center and a bunch of good bottom six players, it turns this team around. Um, so you look at the Galchenyuks of the world, the Michael Granlins, maybe you take a flyer on a one-year Kyle Turris deal to see if he can resurrect it. Um, Jeremy Bracco, Anthony Duclair, like all these guys that we mentioned, bring in as many of these value guys as you can and just give this team some, this roster, some real goddamn depth that it hasn't had in like five years. Uh, Matt Platt says, thrilled with the draft. Crazy to see we have 10 Swedish prospects in the system. Excited to see this Iser plan out. Great coverage, by the way. Among the best, if not the best. Matt, thank you so much. Uh, Mitch Rake says, what are the odds Detroit takes Nico Dawes now that the third round is over and apparently New Jersey took a guy with the same name slash position? (laughs) Shout out to the hashtag Brad Brigade. (laughs) Brad, by the way, uh, do you think Detroit should pick Nico Dawes? Uh, I think the Red Wings should take a swing at Nico Dawes. (laughs) <laughs> for those of you who didn't know uh on the zoom call i was berating brad with that and because he kept getting that question on twitter i got that question on twitter oh at least a dozen times like every pick um that was made someone's like hey nico Dawes was in pick should we take nico Dawes? should we take nico Dawes? it was i mean i think everybody really wanted nico Dawes, and where'd he end up new jersey ah, someone someone get uh oh who's their temporary gm tom fitzgerald on the phone um you know what the biggest question here, though, left for me is, should we take Nico Dawes, Brad? <laughs> we'll have to try again next year. Cody Stark, a uh, new name level sponsor, says, with North Dakota being the Senators' new official farm team, I think a name change to the Ottawa Sooners should happen. That's hysterical. Um Maria says, uh, between Raymond and Cider, it seems like the Wings' new favorite market inefficiency to exploit is guys whose numbers were deflated by playing on good men's league teams as actual babies, and I'm all for it. Maria, that is a perfect byline for how they're getting those market inefficiencies. And yeah, 100%, as scouting gets better, that you have to get creative to find them. And I'm very happy that I that uh, Raymond played on a very good men's team as a literal baby. Uh <laughs> Winged wheel 69. Evan. Nice. Say the thing, Evan. <laughs> Says on a scale one uh, from one through 10, how is your overall feeling of the wings draft picks? Uh, like each pick or overall? Overall. Seven and a half. I, I have to say seven because that lines up with my B. Hmm. Uh, Hakan Anderson Stan Club says, uh, Cross Hannes is an anagram of Braden Point if you spelled his name differently. I think we got him, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely stoked about this draft. If he pans out, would you rather see Cider play with Wallander or split them up in five on five situations? Um, so let me check my depth chart here. So if I, yeah, I could see Cider Wallander being a good pairing. I think Cider. I'm just trying to look at who would offset Cider the best in the Red Wings prospects because I would say actually because Cider skates really, really well. So does Johansson and Wallander. 
so you'd probably pick a guy who's got different strengths. So maybe Sabrango. Um, he is a good skater, but actually just looking through the left side of the Red Wings defense, Johansson, Wallander, and Vero are all unreal skaters. So even Sabrango being a very good skater is the weakest of the four uh, in that department. Um, so maybe throw them together and uh, Sabrango can bring a bit more offense to it. I say Cider, Wallander, Hronik, Carson, Lambos. That's my answer. Uh, they also say, also, Jan Bednar is better than Dawes. I hope we take him in a fourth, in the fourth or fifth update. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, former defenseman Ryan. Yeah. Former defenseman Ryan Hanna says Lucas Raymond is a Red Wing. That is all. Um, Austin Heuser says, gents, incredible job on the draft coverage. I loved every minute of it. The Swedish mafia part two is in full effect and I couldn't be happier. Can't wait to see how next week plays out. Lucas Raymond is a Detroit Red Wing. Trust the Iser plan. And as always, let's go Red Wings. Evan Beckner says, love to see Eisman wheeling and dealing today. And I accidentally navigated away from the screen. Uh, typing this just as he traded down again with Vegas. Looks like he's hoping to find a diamond in the later rounds. Love the draft so far. Michael Barry says, who is someone you wish the Wings drafted post fifth round? I was wishing passion would fall to us so we could select him. Oh, boy. I got to go back to the draft results here to remember this. Uh, <laughs> Passion's a good answer. This was um, six um, days ago. I can't remember any of this. Uh, VT Mietinen, who Toronto yeah. took 168th, was good. How far did Tulio go? Tulio, round five was he? I think Tulio was round five. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Connor McLennan would have been another guy I would have taken a swing at. And then I'm just trying to see. I, I don't think any of the seventh round. Yeah, Passion was a seventh round guy, but yeah. Um, not too much in there that I was too worried about. Uh, Jacob Konechny, because of the name. I don't know anything about him as a player. Stay Fresh Cheese Bags of Fornia Company says, Hey there, fellas. I swore that Stevie would take Perfetti or Rossi. And since I was totally wrong, I upped my Patreon membership. Cheers and thanks for sticking it out these past two days of a marathon draft. Keeping my comment short so that your collective fatigue doesn't force you to impose a character limit. Joseph, screw you, and also thank you so much for your support, man. I mean, uh, he was one of the guys that stuck it out with us to the bitter goddamn end of that stream today, which is really saying something because Evan and Ryan didn't. <laughs> I was no, there's oh, no I had, chance. I had to leave before the seventh pick. I came back for the seventh pick, but I had to leave because I had to start dinner. Yeah, um, you were gone I, for like over half an hour. <laughs> I have to say, uh, Joseph's been a longtime supporter of the Wingville podcast. He's the source of the phrase stay fresh cheese bags. Uh, Joseph works at a bar in um, the upper west side of Manhattan, I believe. F- correct me if I'm wrong, Joseph, uh, called Fred's. They've not reopened fully yet, but uh, they actually had a fire not too long ago. And one of the cool parts about that bar was they recovered wall to wall and pictures of dogs, um, which I thought was really awesome. And Joseph, if I'm out of line doing this, you can just tell me in the next Patreon comment. But I'm going to send Joseph a picture of my dog, and I think you all should do it too. Uh, Greg P says, hey, guys, it was really cool to sit in on the live stream in the Zoom call. Thanks for the great content. Uh, it was fun sharing in everyone's excitement for Raymond. Evan still owes us a pie dance. You did do one when we drafted Raymond. I did go back and see it. Yeah, they can get off my back now. <laughs> Obeer Juan Kenobi says, did we really go out and let Draper pick his own kid? Rounds three to seven were sus from the Red Wings. Only player I like that they picked in that range was Jan Bednar. I understand the uncertainty around those picks, but when you're going for high upside, that's going to naturally come with uncertainty in my mind. Um, I'd like to the third round. I mean, again, not, well, I would have 
picked Sabrango because my bias is strong as hell. Um, but I didn't hate the Vero pick either. I mean, another great skating left shot defenseman, so can't have too many of those. Um, Matt Whip says, hey, guys, how did you f- guys feel about the second round with the talent still on the board? Maybe we would have liked to trade up, but do we have to tr- uh, but we have to trust the Iser plan. By the way, what's the Winged Wheel Podcast email again? Thanks. Um, wingedwheelpodcast at gmail.com is how you can reach us. Yeah, I mean, I didn't love the well, I shouldn't say I didn't love the three picks we made in the second round were not the best players available that on my personal board when we picked them, but they were all in the range. And there's characteristics about all of them that I'm I'm really high on. So I like him. Um, really liked the Wallander and the Niederbach pick specifically. I didn't hate the Cross Hannes pick. I like it. I get it. Uh, he was a, probably the biggest reach for me out of the three. But again, it's late in the second round and they had two more picks early in the third round. I wasn't sweating that one too hard. And then they took, but basically, if you switch Sabrango and Hannes with me, I'd have zero qualms about how that went. Uh, Michael's, Michael Barry says, how did it feel to turn off the Zoom meeting after Draper to pick his kid? Because we felt like we were done only for the Red Wings to acquire another pick. Also, cool Zoom call. Uh, that was great. Hope you guys are having a relaxing Thursday before things get crazy again. Yeah, um, it was funny. And I, I kind of just laughed and said, yeah, of course, when that happened. Um, Mike Franklin says, uh, Mike Franklin, who I believe, yep, new patron. So welcome. Thank you for your support and welcome to the Dub Dub family. He says, first time, long time. Want to say thank you guys for the podcast. Born in Michigan and grew up outside of Philly and now living in Pittsburgh. Since I've only lived in enemy territory, meaningful conversation about the wings have been few and far between, especially lately. Found the podcast last year and it's moved to the top of my must listen list. It's made me follow the wings a lot closer during these lean years. Thanks for the podcast and letting me feel like I'm part of a great wings conversation finally glad i finally took the plunge on joining the patreon oh and i also want to say launch lincoln park into the sun with a true bucket uh mike that means a lot and i so appreciate that the first thing you do becoming a patreon supporter is uh laugh at brad uh connor mcdavid or <laughs> not connor mcdavid i misread that it says connor mccovid um says good day dud duds excuse me uh cross's cousin but it's time to warm up the vocal cord to our favorite tune bye bye little sebastian and uh, the lyrics go like this bye bye madison bowie you make brad's feelings go owie bye bye madison bowie you probably won't get an nhl contract again i think he will um Fun fact, but our first two, our first two second round picks are Bill and Ted. So will they go on an excellent adventure with the wings? <laughs> How'd we miss that? That's all. Uh, in lieu of Jersey time, I have a question for Brad, who we know is fighting through the tears of that after that original song. What percentage of your mentions in the last 24 to 36 hours are just me abusing you? And did you expect more or less? I need to know if my AOE per 60 abuse over expected was good enough or not. Um, I'd say it was about on par for what I expected. Uh, serious time with the 2021 draft being so D heavy as of now, were you surprised to see the Red Wings take five D men or was it more just how the draft fell? Kind of disappointed. We didn't get Murat just nutted off at 32 instead of Wallander, who is still a fine pick. Um, I think I, I take Eisenman and Draper at face value with what they said pre-draft, which was that they're going to take who they thought was the best player available at the time. Um, I don't think they're considering 2021 beyond the context of the Raymond pick in my mind. 
I mean, if you look at the Red Wings overall prospect pool in terms of just number of players, it's it's pretty evenly balanced, obviously stronger at some positions than others. Like our prospect center depth right now is hilariously bad. Um, but you generally don't get top end centers outside of the first round anyway. Uh, Niederbach might be a fun exception. So I think it's just the way the board fell. I, I really do. I don't think they had a plan to pick... Uh, you know, defensemen, forward, centers, whatever have you in this draft. There's also the reality that the entire defensive core outside of a couple guys who we know for certain are going to be long-term players in, in Sider and Hronik, and that's not a knock on anyone else. Um, that entire defensive core needs to be rebuilt, and I'm sure Eisman wants that to be rebuilt top to bottom. Um, you have to take a lot of darts at that board because not every defensive pick is going to hit uh, second series comment. Imagine being the snow waves and spending a fourth overall pick on Bowen Bustum only to see the wings. He's 132nd pick on a guy, the same age who outscored him. Take that Joe suck it. Stay fresh cheese bags. Rowan, a poet as always. Uh, Quaz says, so as I was saying on the zoom chat, I went to adjust the engine hoist for the project boat and it came out super quickly. The hardest part was wheeling the hoist out of the way. Cause I was on dirt also because a 760 pound engine was dangling on a chain success. Also Lucas Raymond is cool. Third man in says, Hey boys, just want to say thanks for all the prospect profiles and draft coverage. Future Red Wing number five recently arrived in our household and I don't have much time these days for our own research. You made this draft the most fun one for me in years. Um, that last line means a lot to us, and also congratulations. Uh, Zen Iserman uh, says, Lucas Raymond is a Detroit Red Wing. Pretty happy with the draft. A little too heavy on defense the past two drafts, but I, I understand it. B-plus to A-minus is my grade, and much of it has to do with us selecting Raymond. Finally, someone to get excited about in Detroit. Cheers. Uh, Kevin Hart says, could be late as shit on posting, but I had fun last two days with the live stream and the Zoom call, so thanks for that. I'm going to throw it out there after this draft that Zay Draper did not agree with Holland or Tyler Wright when it came to scouting and drafting philosophies, and him and Iserman and Verbeek are on the same page. Yeah, I tend to agree. Like We saw a big turn in this draft. Um, yeah. Mitch Oof says, uh, well, I was really hoping after picking Raymond in round one, we'd pick Gundler in the second. So maybe just once they take a penalty at the same time and after successful PK, we'd finally get the Ray gun out of the box. Uh, anyways, can't wait for the 2027, uh, 2027 when the Wings top D pair of Mo Sider and Willy Wally help uh, Detroit lift a cup. Willy Wally is not going to be his nickname, right? I hope not. Big Willy, I think. <laughs> It's going to be the nickname you give them. Uh, that's all the Patreon comments we have at this time. I know we got the thread up a little late uh, in the throes of the, um, I think I sent it sometime in the third round. But for all of our new patrons, uh, guys, welcome. Um, all of our longtime listeners and supporters, thank you for sticking with us. Any new listeners, welcome to the show. Here's the insanity. Um, guys, we are going to be coming at you likely on Monday night. Uh, so a little bit of a longer break. So for you to kind of absorb all this content, but we will be back with regular coverage. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All of our listeners, uh, our name level sponsors, the people who, uh, are sponsors of this show, Terry, Arjun Shanker, Brendan Lee, brand new name level sponsor, Zach Spring, brand new name level sponsor, Citizen High Five, new name level sponsor, Cody Stark, Greech, Jeremiah Dobo, Jake Kiefer, Swedish Fart Porn, Andrew <laughs> Bohan, Scott Martin. You guys are going to kill me. 
You're going to have an aneurysm. <laughs> Jacob Turner, Matt McKay, Craig Kibble, Brandon M., Matthew M. Rice, Luke Johnson, Kalen Wood, Hassam Alkasem, Charlie Elkins, Hana Lee, another former junior goalie turned golfer, Trevor Pevavar, Evans Bingo Card, Ashley Van Conant, Connor Leighton, Matthew Keeler, Simon Anderson, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, a Fournier Company, Antonio Gracias, John Evans, Quaz, and Stan Olson. Thank you so much, guys. We made it. Now we're going to sleep for a long, long time. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.